0: Welcome to another week of the Live Life Aggressively podcast with Mike Mahler and myself, Sincere Hogan. And this week is a very special week. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks and talking about this guest that we're having on today. Very special guest. Very busy man. We're definitely fans of this guy. want to welcome Bruce Buffer, the voice of the Octagon, to the Live Life Aggressively podcast. Bruce, how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. I
2: appreciate it. Oh, oh, thanks really for perfect. coming on, Bruce. Yeah, I, I just finished reading your book, and I, I thought it was incredible. I think anyone who's a fan of the UFC is going to love it, and I think there's a lot of life lessons in it too that I really appreciated. So I think people that maybe are not even fans of the UFC would get a lot out of your life story and your tips on success. So we'll definitely get into that in a second. But I got I got to ask you just with this John Jones <laughs> fight so, so 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 close in our rear view. I'm curious what you thought of the fight and if you agreed with the decision. Yeah.
1: Well, first off, thanks for the kind words and thanks for taking the time to read my book. I really hope well, my, my heart put it out there. We'll we'll talk about that more. I really appreciate the words. I've been announcing in cages and rings now for 18 years or more, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, the UFC for almost 18 years. I've probably announced over 3,000 fights in the octagon. I've only missed two events, uh, Japan too, and when I couldn't be in Australia because I was in Vegas doing another show last year. Uh, in the last um, 17, 18 years, and I have to be honest with you, this is this is literally in the top five, if not the greatest MMA fight I have ever seen in my life.
0: And that's yeah, a I big agree. To, I agree.
1: What it did was it, you know, all the I'm not going to say the haters because haters will keep hating, right. But anybody that questions the maturation and evolutionary process of the fighter in John Jones, there right. is no question after Saturday night because he came up against every bit of adversity. That you can in a fight, fighting somebody that had the length and width of him, which nobody's had. Um, the questions of you know, he's fighting up, fighting blown up middleweight, you know, fighters, which is not my words, it's other words. All these criticisms out there, there is no criticism. Man's got a heart a mile long, mile right. wide. Uh, Gustafson, you can't take anything away from him. I was blown away. He opened up at a six to five dog because I've admired this guy every time I've seen him fight, and this is one tough dude. And that was just ridiculous on the on the bookmakers' parts. I don't bet fights, but, you know, I just thought it was absurd. Right. And it and pointed it out. Now, as far as the decision, yes, I think John won the fight by the 48-47 margin. Uh, it all came down to the fifth round, in my opinion. And um, in order to beat a champion, that old story, you have to decisively beat a champion. Well, had I been told that the new champion was Alexander, I would have been okay with it. Right. You know, it was that close a fight. Right. But, in my opinion, John, John won by the, by the point margin described.
0: It's funny. Mike and I were just discussing right before you came on. uh, Another one of my buddies out here, he's also a ring announcer for, sometimes he does it for legacy. um, And also for another local um, promotion out here, we were always wondering like, what's it like when you have to, go up and announce a decision that you totally don't agree with? Like, how do you handle that? Because Mike and I was just saying how you always have your poker face on, you know, no pun intended, we know you're also great at poker. But you always have your poker face on, man. And it's just I always wonder what goes through your mind when you look down on that car and you realize, like, really? Did they seriously do this? You know,
1: the bottom line is, is don't kill the messenger. I'm a professional. (laughs) Um, I can go have a beer afterwards or sit down in my seat and express my – my comments with Sean Shelby, the matchmaker, sits next to me, and then go out and, you know, uh, tell everybody else how I feel, whatever. But mm-hmm. at that point in time, I, my job is to be the announcer. Right. So I have to be unbiased. It's kind of like sitting and being a, a buffer zone in between two warring parties. You know, I've got to be the calm one. I've got to right. tell everybody what's going on and create the excitement for the uh, announcement at hand um but yeah there's been many times trust me like the other week when i've got to say oh the blue corner thirty twenty-seven and the red corner thirty twenty-seven. what the heck is that you know who's watching the fight it's like it's crazy dana said it perfectly do not put the fight in the hands of the judges exactly. right right what yeah, are, what are some of the what are some of the fights that really stick out for you
2: over the years because you've been doing this for such a long time are there let's say three or four that just really stick out in your mind
1: well, there's there's tons that actually stick out. I mean, the
2: right.
1: tell you ones that were great. But to ask me a question like, what is the greatest fight? I think I just said it. I never I never have an answer for that. But I have to say right. that's the greatest fight. Um, but when you think about the early wars of Randy Couture and Pedro Hizo, mm-hmm. um, you think about uh, the lightweight fights. You know, Florian was it Florian and Shirk or BJ J. Penn and Shirk. Um, you got uh, Hen- H- okay. yeah BJ and Shirk. You got Henderson and Hua which I thought probably, Incredible. as Bogan and I were talking about this, actually, uh, both of us thought that probably could have been the greatest fight, but this just took it away. So every time I think I see the best fight, there's so much entertainment value going on in the UFC mm-hmm. that it's just a matter of weeks or months before I see another fight that I go, oh, my Lord,
2: you know? <laughs> wow. Now, as fans, it makes it really exciting, too, you never know what you're going to turn into. So I'm a huge fan, and that's part of the excitement factor. What, what do you do to prepare for each event, Is there a kind of a ritual process you go to to make sure you're in tip top shape for announcing?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, this might sound kind of like overblown to most, but I've been an athlete my whole life. I just got mm-hmm. back from training for two hours at the gym. And, you know, when you're on the road, 33 weeks a year alone, alone for UFC, not counting all my other appearances, there's sacrifices that are made, sacrifices from your loved ones, your girlfriend, right. you know, or girlfriend, excuse me. I am might've to you. <laughs> <laughs> So you know, have to be sacrificed from family and loved ones. And also the, the way you take care of yourself is very important because you can age quickly traveling the way we do. No and,
3: doubt. Yeah.
1: um, it's important to eat right, nutritionalize myself, cardio on the road. I mean, I take a very serious approach. Do I ever loosen up and party and have fun? Absolutely. No question, but I, I'm a disciplined individual. I know how to take care of myself. And the big thing is I never rehearse. If I rehearsed as you read in the book, if I rehearsed, other than just making sure I know how to say the names phonetically, mm-hmm. um, I would really screw myself up, in my opinion, for the way that I like to work. Because unlike other announcers, with all respect, uh, my brother being the greatest of all time, what he does is that they stand there so poised, concentrating on their voices, which is cool. I can do that. Believe me, I can do that all day long. But I'd fall asleep. You know, i, I got to <laughs> move. I'm yeah. a physical individual. I'm a passionate individual. And if I'm going to put my life out there on the road 33 weeks a year for three to four days, a minimum a week, I want to love what I do. So I'm a kid in a candy store. When I get in an octagon, I'm a fan first. Every night to me is the first night of the rest of my life. I don't believe in living on my laurels, uh, whether it's a 360 jump or a 180 turn or whatever I decide to do. Um, I want to go out there and feel the energy of the crowd. I want to be organically pure. And I want to look in the eyes of the tiger of these great warriors and experience something that nobody... Actually, any other announcer doesn't get experience like I do because I, I'll, I'll sometimes be right in their faces, right. and I don't even realize it till it happens. You know, it's just this wild thing. As far as a ritual, give me um, a power breakfast, a workout in the morning,
3: mm-hmm.
1: a steam if it's available in the spa in the hotel, which is great for the throat, yep. some meditation, sing a little uh, uh, Frank Sinatra to myself to get my intonation <laughs> down. because mm-hmm. He announced everything correctly. And get out there and get to work, you know. Do it raw, baby. That's the way I yeah. like it.
0: And I was just about to ask you about that. Like, How do you keep your throat and keep your voice and keep everything in tune with so many fights, so many fights you have to call? And God forbid, if you have a night like the one you had in Toronto the first time the GSP and Jake Shields met up, probably one of the biggest nights ever in the UFC. Uh, when you have something that big where, or also at the end of the year, almost all the end of the year fights, it seems like every fight is a main event fight. And you bring so much energy to each and every one of those fights. How is it that you consistently keep your voice intact? Well, we hear all these singers, professional singers who have to get off the road. Someone like Lady Gaga or somebody like that, they have to get off the road because they have throat problems, throat issues and laryngitis. And here you are, man. I believe that you're putting a lot more into it with your voice than any of these singers ever do. So how do you keep that going?
1: Well, again, I appreciate the the words and the enthusiasm. Remember when a singer goes out and does like, I couldn't imagine, honestly, then you ask me the question, whether it's Lady Gaga or Frank Sinatra or, you know, uh, even some idiot like Justin Bieber. um, (laughs) It's Like, you know, the bottom line is they got to go out and do three or four concerts uh, on tour a week, you know, whatever their choices are. And and the thought of them singing for two hours or 90 minutes each session, Mm -hmm. where I'm a total of maybe 25, 30 minutes a night, my session, Mm-hmm. But the thought of them doing that, and 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 I find that very impressive, you know, to holding notes and doing everything they do. What I do is, I, I've been sick more times than I can count, guys. There, you just don't see it. The show must go on. I've done the show with a hundred four degree temperature, almost ready to faint. Where the paramedics wanted to take me to get uh, fluids put in because I was just I was done. I had the flu so bad, or. Like in the Jake Shields he just, GSP fight that night when I blew my knee and ripped my my ACL in half and tore my meniscus in three places, which is unheard right. of for an announcer. But 55,000 people in the audience, I'm not gonna fall. No way am I gonna fall. <laughs> right. But I'll, I'll right. let the football players fall when they get when they bust their ACLs. Um, <laughs> it's, you know what they say about football and MMA. In football, it only takes one ball. In MMA, it takes two. Anyway, so that's, <laughs> right. so, so you know, it's like. Uh, I'm not fighting, guys. That's the bottom line. I'm one of the greatest war- fighting warriors in the world.
3: Right. And it
1: doesn't matter if I have a broken finger, broken knee, 104-degree temperature. Even coming off laryngitis, I can find enough inside me to get in there and do what I need to do. Because I, the, the show must go on. I'm not fighting. That's really my attitude.
2: Yeah, right. that's, that's, yeah that's the real professional attitude. Now, what about, you're also a very high-level poker player I'm cu- and also a very high-level businessman. You're successful in many different arenas. I'm curious how your skills as a poker player have played over to other areas of your life, such as a businessman, maybe even a ring announcer. Also, you're a, a martial artist as well.
1: It, the similarities of life in poker as well as life and fighting, the mental similarities are very, very strong. Right. When it comes down to knowing when to be defensive, knowing when to be offensive, knowing how to think three steps ahead as one should do in chess and in fighting um, or even in the game of poker, of course, you know, when I pick out that person at the table and I see their weakness, it's like a guy that's got a cut above his eye or a bad knee. Well, I'm going to punch that eye or I'm going to kick that knee, you know, because that's my advantage at that point. So um, it's a thinking, life is a thinking man's game. Fighting is a thinking man's game. And that's why when you get emotional, in fighting or a fighter gets emotional, chances are, depending on their skill factor, they're going to lose because right. it is a game of skill. Now, Granted, anybody can win on any given day in the octagon, just like any Sunday on the football field. It just takes one submission, one punch. I've seen it happen a million times. Um, but the bottom line is you've got to be a thinking man. There was nobody more cerebral than a Randy Couture walking in there to uh, to fight. He would analyze that fight way before I remember I was surprised Randy. Exactly, he fought Brock Lesnar. I know how he analyzes fights, and I saw him the the next night, and we were talking. And I said, "Well, you know, Randy, what did you think?" He said, "I misjudged his reach." He said, "Every time I thought I ducked his punch, it just kept coming, and I'd get hit on the side of the head by his elbow or his forearm." You know, the guy was a monster. I said, "Randy, how the f did you even forget to do that? I mean, you're so brilliant at this stuff." And that was about six months later. He even said to me, "You know," and I said it in the book. He said, "Buff, I don't know how many more wars I got left in me." You know this is a yeah. this is a very tough game, you've got to be at the top of it all the time,
0: yeah and speaking of tough I mean, when we were talking about poker, it goes back you now I've read in the first part of your book as like a lot of this comes from your father and the things that he taught you growing up even i, I like to quote what he said about um horse racing, don't ever bet on horse racing, pretty much rely on your own skills and rely yeah, on the, the, remember things.
1: remember what he said, remember what he said about the horse race He said the only way to follow a horse is with a shovel exactly. <laughs> right? I mean,
0: I, I was cracking up when I read that, man, because it reminds me of my father so much. Just kind of talk more about your father, what he taught you and your older brother growing up, and how those lessons have applied to you as far as a businessman, as well as a poker player, as well as stepping foot in the octagon, and also just taking over your other brother's career. you I mean, really helping him out as well.
1: Well, you know, I go into the fact in the book about how Michael Buffer, you know, the great legendary announcer known for the Let's Get Ready to Rumble phrase, Mm-hmm. Uh, darn, I've got to put 5 bucks in my right pocket and my left pocket. <laughs> um, but with that being said, you know, uh, Michael and I, I saw him on TV in 1988. Um, I owned a number of telemarketing companies in my 20s, and I always checked phone books for my name and never saw my name anywhere. And then all of a sudden on the screen is the name Buffer mm-hmm. up on the screen. I'm like, who the heck is this guy? Right? And I'm 28, 29 years old. So the book goes into how I met my long-lost half-brother. My dad never told me that I had a brother, that he was married. He, when he passed away five years ago, he was married to my mom for 57 years. But World War II, he went overseas, came back, and a son was born. It was one of those stories. And um, Michael grew up to be the preeminent uh, announcer in boxing and you know, and one of the most famous announcers in sports and entertainment and mm-hmm. with the most famous phrase spoken in the world. I mean, I say that very proudly because I've been his manager and partner for 20 years Uh, trademarking marketing and making all the uh, toys and everything that go around that phrase while he does his work so brilliantly um it's been a great partnership we go into that the book's all about the for the entrepreneurs but my dad taught me the simple thing guys it's really very simple see the problem is people overthink things okay i'm not a scientist i skipped grades in math when i was eight and nine then all of a sudden they hit me with geometry and trig and i thought you know what the only kind of trig I want is the kind of trigger me that hit in an elevator. No, i was just joking. So, you know, the, the, <laughs> only, the, the only kind of trigonometry I want, I'm not going to be an astronaut. You know, I, I, that's not the case. Right. Life is very simple. It's one point to the next point, which is a straight line. Easiest way to get between two points. My dad always said when you walk in the room, let them know you're there. When you talk, project your voice. Let them know you're there. If you're going to do something, be the best you can be or don't do it. And if you don't know how to do it, learn how to do it, learn everything you can about it, and then every time you do it is the only time you're going to get better at it. So keep doing it. And the other thing was I learned myself at a very young age is about following my passion. It's one thing to attack something and and, and uh, realize that we all are equal in life. All of us are equal, guys. We're not all born with the prowess of a John Jones for fighting or, uh, you know, some of the guys that can run at the speed of light and all that kind of stuff or whatever the case might be. But the bottom line is we're all created equal. So it's about the paths you choose. You want to be the best bus boy, You want to be the best actor, radio commentator, DJ, host, you know, CEO, whatever the case might be. Choose your path. Just because you're the rich guy doesn't mean you're the best guy. It's all about being the best at the path you choose.
3: Right.
1: And, and that's, that's what I take great pride in. So if I'm going to go after something, I'm going to make it happen. But you also got to realize and that's something you taught me, too. You win like you're used to it. You lose like it doesn't bother you. But you have to realize when it's time to pick up your chips and find another game. That Velcro hits your ass, and you can stay the game too long and lose everything. So right. I, I call it the bufferism I refer to in the book, which applies to everything I do in life. Mm-hmm. And pardon my long-windedness, but I get paid to talk, so obviously I talk a lot. <laughs> um, BSC, Balls, Skill and confidence. That's how I lead my life. And there's always got to be that 20% luck factor, which involves timing.
3: Mm-hmm. So everything
1: comes together It's kismet, followed by passion. You make money at it. Then you wake up every day and you go, oh, I don't, I don't want to go to work. Well, I, I hate feeling that way, not that I never have. Right. I want to wake up and realize that I'm going to have the best day possible. It's time to make it happen, and I love what I do. That's called being passionate about life, and you're living a lifestyle.
3: Definitely.
2: No
1: Definitely.
3: When did, When did you
2: get inspired to become a ring announcer. You were managing your brother's career for a while. Was it through watching him and seeing his lifestyle? Was that part of the inspiration? And then how much did he help you with developing your style?
1: There's no question that watching Michael made me more interested in, in the ring announcer. I did motivational speaking before I ever met Michael in my life. I was used to being on oh, okay. stage. Right. So when I watched ring announcers of old, even the even the lousy ones in the Rocky movies and stuff, except for Jimmy. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, or you know, guys that say the last name twice, which is some of the most ridiculous announcing I've ever heard. But anyway, <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like I always feel like saying I heard you the first time. And so, it, um, I always found it interesting because I wanted to watch the fights, you know, and that's when the yeah. uh, inspiration was that he wanted to watch the fights, along with you know, developing his job. But watching Michael and the debonair Bondish attitude that he brought to the ring announcing. Definitely made it more attractive to me, but I didn't want to go into ring announcing and be Michael, Michael Buffer jr. Like Frank Sinatra jr. Right. That was not <laughs> my interest. I told him when we first got together, when I sold two companies, I was making a great living guys. And I don't want to mention numbers, but I was making a great living in 92 beach house here in California, life O'Reilly, the whole bit, not that it's never changed, but <laughs> the bottom line is that, um, I had it going, but I had no passion for what I was doing. And when I went to the Riddick-Bowell-Vander-Holyfield fight in 1992, November 13th, I'll never forget it, Thomas and Mac, and I watched 15,000 or more people go crazy when he spoke, when he did the Rumble, the Hulk Hogan and Jack Nicholson's of this world going nuts, I thought, you know, nobody's even made a T-shirt or a hat off this. It's not trademarked properly. It could be stolen from him. I had an epiphany. And I went back to my room, and I wrote pages of notes about making video games and toys and putting it in all forms of sports and entertainment and making this five-word phrase part of American culture and put it on the tip of everybody's tongue, not just in the world of boxing. And I I said, said, I'm going to sell both businesses. I'll be your manager. I'll manage your career. We'll be equal partners. I'll make these incredible things. And um, he said, how are you going to do all that? I said, I don't know. I'll figure it out. If I'm going to give all this up to do this happen, trust me, I'll figure it out. And I told him I wanted to be an announcer back then, and we agreed I wouldn't do boxing. There was no money in it, which is true. He's the only one making a real full-time living back then at it, doing 100-plus shows a year. And um, so I just took over managing his career and built it. I said, don't worry. I don't need to do boxing. Something will come along. (laughs) And the rest is history. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But here's the key thing. If I was going to do it, I wanted to be recognized for my own style. That's what I tell everybody. When they they write me, I want to be an announcer. I don't become an announcer. Yeah, because I'm curious if people have started
2: comparing you immediately just because you have the same last name, going, oh, it's just a Michael Buffer want to be – just initially. Obviously, after they've seen oh, you for a while, you, you realize sure. you have your own
1: style. Yeah, you can be sure in the first couple of years before I found myself yeah. you're out there with the name Buffer, that's going to happen. Right. You know what? I mean, opinions are like a-holes. Everybody's got one. There's always the keyboard warriors. I don't know. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. No they doubt. Would say whatever you want about me. There's an old saying. It's not mine. I wish it was, but there's, say whatever you want to say. Just spell my name correctly. I don't care. You
3: know?
1: <laughs> you well, that's a good point. Yeah. So,
2: many, so many people, I think, give up on pursuing so many goals because they get negative feedback from keyboard warriors and just jack offs on the Internet. And it's, it's like you said. You have to just be focused on what you're doing and, and not worry about all those naysayers. Otherwise, it's going to drive you nuts.
1: If you believe in yourself, if you work on developing your own style – See, that's the thing. I, I wasn't interested in having a catchphrase. I was right. not catchphrase-driven. Every announcer coming up in the last 20 years, with the exception of maybe the last six or seven, because they're now trying to copy me also, I've noticed, and I get reports of all the time, which is fine. Just don't take my trademarks so or we'll have an issue. Right. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a sign of flattery, right? I, I know doubt. what I do. Let, I let somebody else go out there and rip off a 180 the way I do. I guarantee you somebody's going to leave a hip in the octagon. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom line is, is that if you're doing it with your own style, you have a right to develop and attract whatever attention you want. And it's not, my suggestion to people is if you want to criticize, there's really no reason to criticize. I look at more as learning. I look at other people and say, what are they doing that I can develop or, you know, tweak if I want to, do I like it? Is it something I, this is how I built companies. I would look at the companies that are the, three companies that do exactly what I was setting out to do unless I was creating something new. And I would look at the best, most successful companies and I'm not going to copy them, but I'm going to learn from them. Right. And then I develop my own style. That's what people do. That's what everybody does in Hollywood. There's 15 stories, scripts. There's 150 ways to tell each story. That's the right. script. Right. That's why right. all you read today is, is they're remaking everything. Right. A few generations ago was, you know, the day the earth stood still, they remake it. It's like, you know, Star Wars, you know, becomes what it, it, it's nobody knows what works, so it works. So try to make it work as best you can. right. What it what really inspired you to write your book? because one
2: one thing I really like I love reading books about people, their story, how they've become successful, hardships they've had along the way. So I really appreciated that in your book. But what really inspired you
1: to get your story out there? Well, I've been asked for years about everything I've seen in the last fifteen plus years, now going on eighteen. In the Octagon, I have a backstory which you read in the book of Mm -hmm. an entrepreneurial endeavors where I've started you know companies and corporations since I was 19. Um, It's it basically uh, with my podcast that's been on for four years now on on the Suredog.com radio network. uh, I've told so much about myself, and it's like people start coming, asking me more and more questions, and they want to know how I got here and this and how I did this and that. So when I blew my knee in uh, Toronto, Mm. I, Marlon Shirley, the Paralympian with no legs, had his company make me a special brace because I had to work every week, including filming that movie, Here Comes the Boom, you know, just a week later. So I finally had a window three months later to get operated on by Dr. Elitrash, who operated on GSP's knee and Tom Brady and. I blew my knee announcing GSP, and he and I both wound up in rehab. How funny is that? And we got (laughs) operated on for ACL replacements. So when I was sitting in rehab with the machine making my knee go up and down, I actually was wondering would I ever be able to announce the way that I love to announce, or am I going to become one of those stiff announcers because I can't move properly, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought if that happens, then I'm going to quit. I'm going to to retire because that's not the way I want to announce. I really did, guys. And sitting in that bed in the rehab, I thought, you know, I started the book a year ago. I didn't like how it was going, and and uh, now there's tremendous interest, you know, to do the book. And suddenly, Random House, the biggest company in the world, you know, wants to do the book. And it's like, okay, let's do it. It's time. Let's do it. It's time. I told my story. I mean, I'm 56 years old. I'm not 26. I laugh. Right. <laughs> you know, books at 20. The situation. I call them the situation. The situation. <laughs> Who the a, a, a friend wants to read a book about the I mean, you want to learn how to be a, a, a maluk, you know? I mean, Snooki <laughs> writes a book. You want, how to, want to learn how to be a slob?
3: I mean, sadly just,
1: sadly like, enough, Bruce, probably quite a few people
3: exactly. do. Exactly. That,
1: that's a whole separate oh. discussion. <laughs> right about that. Yeah, I mean, Paris, Hilton, the right one. You want to know how to do a, you know, release a porn uh, a week before your TV comes out so you strike some interest? Right. You know, whether about Kardashian release a porn and have a big ass, okay, you're successful. There's so much more to life, and there's no role models for the kids today. Right. I, I feel so bad for kids. And I'm not saying I'm a prime role model. I don't mean to say that. But I do have an inspirational story that can help people that want to succeed become more successful, right. both in their personal business and family life. And I truly believe this. So I'm just trying to do my part. But the scariest thing is writing the book and then before it comes out, because you don't know how it's going to be accepted. Mm-hmm. You know, you open up your heart to write these books. I talk about life, love, death. I got a chapter in there to all the girls I've loved before. I mean, you know, what is what, what the hell is Buffer writing about? But I one will step. say that. One just step. Read, well, like you said, it's gotten five star reviews, and just hearing you say what you said, and that makes it all worthwhile. It's not about the money all the time, guys.
0: I yep. agree. Well, we know you have to
1: go, and we really appreciate it.
0: Sincere, did you have a last question? Oh, just one more question. Yeah, was going no, to go I gotta,
1: you can ask a couple more. I got I another five or ten if you need it.
0: Okay, right. thank you. Yeah, I just want to go back to uh, when you trademarked Michael's famous catchphrase. I'm not trying to put another $5 in your pocket. Sorry, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> hey, I could use the five bucks. <laughs> well, pay will PayPal over right Did you, you the ever trip. imagine that those five words would generate over $400 million, man? Well,
1: the thing is, is that I did. I had that dream. And I'll tell you what instigated it a little bit. Do you remember when Pat Riley and the Lakers were winning uh, championships? Yeah, <laughs> and the three the three piece situation happened exactly. What the big story back then was that he trademarked three piece. You know, before then all you heard about were things like where's the beef and stuff that would go through an Andy Warhol fifteen minutes. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I realized that he supposedly made uh, 1.5 million in uh, his own income off all the sales of three piece, which <laughs> really kind of like generated thoughts in my head about what I could do with Michael and the Rumble. And I'll give that an example of an inspiration for me, um, along with watching all these little phrases and realizing that I had to market this correctly, otherwise it was just going to become a where's the beef, uh, right. rather than a Warhol 15 minute phrase, right. and all the stuff that I'm giving up is going to go away uh, if I don't you know do this correctly. So it's all about careful marketing, and it's not just having oh I, I got a phrase I'm going to trademark it. You have got to show usage. It's not always that easy you got to stay on top. I spent, I can't begin to tell you how much money just to attorneys and, and the process of constant legal trademarking, everything that goes into it. But you've got to show usage. You don't want to be just putting money in a fan and blowing it off in the wind. Right. So there's a lot involved, but it's not, again, life is simple, guys. It's just about dotting your I's and crossing your T's. But it's all marketing. If you market a diamond and don't market it correctly, people perceive it as a piece of coal. You can have a piece of coal, like a Snooky. And market it, and then all of a sudden it's like a diamond because it's making so much money.
3: But it's right. really not
1: piece of coal. Right. Yeah. Sorry, Snick, you're just good for this. Okay, so <laughs> that right. that's just a that part of life, you know. It's sales. It's 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 all it's all in the presentation.
2: Right, no doubt. And 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 you know, working for the UFC obviously from the outset looks like a dream job. And I'm sure I'm sure you have a lot of fun as you talked about in your book. But what are some of the negatives about working for the UFC? Not, and I don't mean like the management. I'm, I'm sure you get along with everyone fine. I just mean maybe being on the road too much. or just What are some of the things that are kind of the negatives of the job?
1: Well, I'll, I'll tell you that working for the UFC, is, is just, it's, literally it's great. I'm not a shill. I'll tell you the truth. Dana okay. Lorenzo and Frank Fertitta, Pertina, who are responsible for us even having this interview because without them buying this, the UFC in 2001, we, the, 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 MMA would be dead. It would be no underground. Question. It wouldn't be this. It would literally yeah. be dead. Okay. I, I just, nobody is going to disprove that theory to me. Um, we watched two companies spend forty-five and fifty-five million dollars in one year, just trying to be partially like the UFC. Right. So, it's a great company. They're loyal. You're loyal to them. They're loyal. I laugh at all these fighters or a couple couple individual ex-grownup fighters. You know, whether it's my buddy Rampage or Tito, You know, Stoutenoff. Rampage made over fifteen million dollars. He's complaining that, he, that they didn't pay him anything. I announced his first fight in King of the Cage when he made five hundred. I mean, I don't want to hear this stuff, you know? Right, right. Um, It gives them an avenue to make their deals with Bellator and Viacom. But it's great, guys. But the toughest part is the travel. It's the toughest part. You know, I've I've been in Atlantic City and hopped a private jet to get to Rio and do two shows in less than 24 hours in two hemispheres. Is it tough? No, that was James Bond. Cool. I dug that. But (laughs) But then, you know, when you're suddenly you go to Brazil and then I got to get, no, I I go to Indianapolis and I come home to L.A. for one day. Then I got to go to Milwaukee and I do the show that it's right to Brazil. And then it's back. You know, yeah, it's tedious being on planes and you're away from your loved ones and makes relationships harder to keep, you know, strong and and all the other things go with it. But thank God for modern technology with computers and, you know, and everything. Yeah, folks and Sarah and I travel a lot, too, for our line of work. So we can definitely
2: relate to that. But I'm also curious, what do you do to manage jet lag and make sure your sleep is on point? Because those seem to be some some of the most difficult things that people who travel a lot like us deal with.
1: Sit down with a pen and a piece of paper. Analyze your time zones. When you're taking off, when's the best time to sleep on the plane so you land as fresh as possible? Uh, If possible, get right on a cardio machine. Do 30, 45 minutes of cardio once you get settled in the hotel get your body pumped up, and then make sure you don't go to sleep that night until 11 or 12, sleeping to a regular hour the next day. If not right. noon, the body needs it. So yeah. sleep is most important. But I, you know, again, I can't begin to say how many times I don't have sleep. I mean, I'll yeah. be in an oxygen for two hours. <laughs> right, sleep, right. But that, that's why you got to stay in shape to, to deal with the rough moments when they happen. Right. No doubt. you, you got airplane food and, you know, you're in a, it's not healthy being in an airplane.
2: No, not No, at all. not at all. I'm honestly surprised I don't get sick every time I fly, such as 15-hour flight to Australia or Dubai, and it's just, I mean, it's such a toxic environment. But uh, we know you have to go. I'll leave you with one final question, and then we'll wrap this up. What, is it, what do you think is it that really drives you to be a successful person? Because it seems like you've had this instinct for a long time. As a young man, you were working hard. Yep. What do you, so what do you think is that driving force that makes you just want to be successful in every endeavor you go after?
1: it's kind of like this. Um, my, get back to my father and my mother. Um, I was raised, uh, in a family where, and I saw my, my dad always took care of us. We always were great middle class. Even when we moved to Malibu, we were middle class. We were not rich, you know, and you read that story in there when I overheard how they couldn't pay the rent. Remember that story? Yeah. 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 Um, basically being with them, Banding together as the loving family we are to survive. You know, when my dad had $100 left, uh, I remember one time we went to a collectible show when he stopped his corporate position where he was making a lot of money and said, I'm going to quit with the money I had in the bank and start my passion, which is writing. And I wrote about that in the book, how he had his first book published, which was a rave with the New York Times, uh, you know, reviewers and all. Right. Um, and it's like he quit with the money he had in the bank and that instills certain, you know, theories of life in me to follow your passion. And together, we banded together, and he had this collection, a small collection at the time of military collectibles and pistols, and we started working those collectible gun shows. And I remember the first one we went to, we sold $75 in books. It's all we sold. And we had, hmm. we had some amazing collectibles on the table, but we didn't know how to do the business yet. We were learning. Right. So that $75, you know, we, we, we went out and had a great dinner. If my dad had 100 bucks left in the bank, his most important thing was that his family was happy. And we always lived a good life. But then for some reason, he could get knocked down at the canvas and get back up and make a crap load of money and build successful businesses. And he always took care of us. And it just instilled that, you know, that night that I overheard them that they couldn't pay the rent, I told myself there's no way my family and loved ones, whoever they may be, in this case, my immediate family, would ever want for anything in their life. I'm healthy, I'm young, I'm not lazy. And I worked hard, I always made money, and I always surfed more than anybody else. I partied more than anybody else. But I also worked with it with a focus better than most. And that's what helped me start my first company in 19 and, and do what it takes to, to learn how to do it. You know, college teaches you knowledge. It does not teach you application. You've got to get out there and do it. Yeah, no right. doubt about it.
3: Agreed. Well,
2: thanks thanks so much for coming on, Bruce. Truly
3: you know, appreciate you're super it.
2: busy. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And your book, It's Time, My 360-degree View of the UFC. By Bruce Buffer, you can check it out at Amazon.com, Barnes and & Noble, and bookstores all
1: over the country. Bruce, is there a Audible.com version of your book? Um, we're talking about it now. Uh, you know, there's the Kindle and such, and I've released it in Portuguese in Brazil and. Oh, okay, so have, nice. Yeah, I have three publishers in seven countries. It's in there's uh, six or seven. It's in the UK, New Zealand, Australia, Brazil, and Portuguese, Canada, and the US, and. Um, Uh, The reception is is just awesome. Uh, The big thing is is that when you buy the book, or if you buy the book, uh, if you leave a review for me at Amazon.com, and then you just send me an email through BufferZone.net. That's my site where you can hear my podcast and all the other things there. Um, Get on Twitter and Facebook with me. So BufferZone.net, just send me a copy of your review, and I'll send out a a personalized photo and a signed book plate for your book. Oh, very nice. so patient, you know, cost you 25 whatever in the store and get the book plate and sell it for forty two fifty on eBay. I know how to make money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a nice little lesson right there. I think I'll do that. I'm going to make a little money today, give you a reveal
2: <laughs> after this show's over.
1: <laughs> and one of the other big things that i just like to push if I can just, like, promote myself please. a little bit. Sure. Um, yeah, please. I get a big blast out of doing personalized recordings for fans. And I've done over 100 weddings in the last year and a half. I'll, I'll introduce the entire reception party and the bride and groom for the first time being introduced as husband and wife. You know, walking down the aisle of love forever, right? So I make these big things. You can go to YouTube and see them. Um, anybody getting married out there, if you're a big fan, you want the full championship introduction, I don't make it costly. I, you've got enough to pay for. But I do have to charge something. But I'm, it's not about the money, guys. I get such a kick out of doing these things. It's fun.
0: So very, I do it, I do it for Portuguese. I do it
1: for uh, people getting married. I've even do it in Portuguese. You know, from Portuguese fans, they'll send me in, and I'll you know I'll try I'll just trans get a translate, and I'll announce the whole thing in Portuguese for them. Very cool. Well, thanks so much again and again. Cool. Your book, It's Time
2: by Bruce Buffer. Check it out, guys. If you, it's one of those books where you're going to get inspired. You read it, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to go make something happen today. And I think it's important to keep getting that message because. Even if you're already a success-driven person, we still need that inspiration from other people from time to time to give us our our own kick in the ass to make the most out of each day. So
1: thanks again, Bruce. We really appreciate
2: it. Thanks a lot, man. Well,
1: thank you you very much. We're all put on this earth to do the best we can. And what I always say is treat everybody with respect. And if I can be motivating to you, great, but just know that I'm looking to you for my own motivation also so we can feed off each other and and let's all have a good time in life. That's all I ask.
2: Sounds great. You All right, so guys. do enjoy.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Take, Take care. care.
0: Thank you. Take care.
2: Thanks a lot.
1: Bye. And again, folks, that's Bruce Buffer.
2: Check out his book. It's time. It really is a good book. You know, we're not just saying that because he's on the show. You know, if, if, if I thought the book sucked, I would say uh, I don't know if we. I don't know if we want to have him on the show
3: because, you know, because <laughs> I'm not
2: gonna book, I'm right. not gonna sit there and talk about what a great book it is. And in the back of my head it sucks. So like, if we have the situation on the show. You know, we're not going to be talking about what a great book you wrote and what an inspirational figure he
0: is. Uh, yeah, I, think, I, mean, I think
2: we probably we probably should have someone on the show at some point who we we're, not, we're not we're not really a fan of at all. Just so it's just so it doesn't look like our show is like fanboy central, where we keep bringing on people like Bruce Buffer and Robert Greene and people that we're both fans of. I think it's time to bring us someone where we're like, look, man,
0: your book sucks.
2: <laughs> and, you know, let's let's get into why. Like, why is it one
0: Your box? book sucks, and can you please take this moment to try to prove us wrong? <laughs> just, I, I, well, we look, double can we dare some, you. Can you please just some, prove to us that your book doesn't suck? Because from where I'm coming from, it <laughs> sucks. And yes, I know opinions are like buttholes, but you know what? This one's pretty clean right now. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: just like a shower. I'm thoroughly clean. <laughs> <laughs> get to dish that out there. Got <laughs> uh, oh. we, should, you know, I think when we have some network, mar- some pro network marketing people, I think that's where that topic will come up. Because folks. Every, you know, anyone who knows I mean, me knows I'm very anti-network marketing, extremely anti-network marketing. In fact, I had someone pitch me on network marketing recently who actually read my book. I was like, you didn't read the chapter which says why I hate network marketing? I mean, Mike, you are going
0: to change your mind. They're, How much more?
3: They're,
2: they're, they're
0: kind of like, like, they're kinda like the, the female or the guy, or even the guy that like knows the hot lesbian or the girl that knows the really – gorgeous gay guy, but they're still going to try to date him so they can try to change their mind. Right. <laughs> so that's what they're trying to do, Mike. They're trying to change your mind. I, they, I
2: just hate that whole approach, man. Like when you, when you think you're having an organic conversation, like we both travel a lot. So sometimes you're talking to someone on the plane or you're talking to someone wherever and you're like, oh, this is cool, man. You know, I'm just having a nice organic conversation with a stranger. And then all of a sudden, 20, 30 minutes into it, it's like, oh, uh, by the way, I've got a business that I wanted to tell you about real quick. And it's like, oh, come on.
3: Sure. Trying to
2: tell me that <laughs> that whole nice conversation was for this point. I mean, that that is just such a lame way to get your business out there. Like, I would never talk to someone for like 30 minutes on a plane and say, oh, uh, let me give you my website real quick to check out my testosterone booster. and my. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'll, I'll talk about my business. And if they're like, hey, that sounds cool. What's your website? Yeah, sure. It, it can come up in the conversation organically. But that's never my intent. You know, we're talking to a stranger, which is okay. At some point, let me steer this towards how to build my business or something. And it's it's just such right. a delaying
0: tactic. You're you're on the plane looking for every guy with a like a gut and man <laughs> boobs, and you, and you try to make a point to sit with this guy and you strike up a conversation. And then, oh, by the way, are you tired of having a gut and man boobs?
3: But look, and I, I just <laughs> I've got, got the, the the
2: supplement for you. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice that you have serious estrogen dominance. You got <laughs> chest like a woman. You got a gut like, that's falling all over your dick. And you got you, know, you got much you got more lower body fat than any female on the plane. <laughs> so I'm here to help you. <laughs> but you know it's funny because it's happened to me so often with these network marketing pitches that whenever I am having a good conversation with someone, I'm always thinking in the back of my head, Oh God, I hope that doesn't come up. Like wait right. for it, wait for it. Most, most for of the time it, it does, <laughs> thankfully. Most of the time it doesn't, but. I'm always leery of that. But I tell you what, you know, at this point, I I remember I had a guy from Quickstar, like an Amway subsidiary Mm -hmm. that was pitching me on a plane one time. I I got on the plane. He's like, oh, you look like you're a workout guy. You know, my company makes these. They always say my company. It's not your company. All right. You're You're not a founder of the company. You're not a stockholder. It's not your company. You're a distributor. You're paying for the privilege to sell a product. I mean, that already right there is stupid. Why do you have to pay to join so you can sell a product? And that already right there is dumb. So I mean, I always laugh at the whole my company. It's like, no, it's not your company. That's that's the straight off of that. And then, but what's funny is this guy started pitching me on the products, QuickStart, all that stuff. And I was like, you know what? Uh, network marketing is not really effective for all these reasons. And then I counter pitched him for the rest of the flight. <laughs> this guy looked so demoralized. He didn't have any argument for what I had to say. You know, he, he was just demoralized by the end of the flight. And I'm sure some, some, some hardcore network marketers listening to this are like, oh, yeah, right, I'm going to send you an email right now and uh, convince you that this is the way to go. But you're not, folks. You're not going to convince <laughs> me. It's kind of like someone trying to convince me to try being gay for a day. It's not happening, folks. Okay, Nothing wrong with being gay. You know? Nothing wrong with that if that's who you are. But it's not who I am.
3: All right? <laughs>
2: exactly.
0: so what, people, in my opinion, is not a choice.
3: <laughs>
2: okay,
0: It's not exactly. a toy it's
3: so, yeah, exactly. Just like it's not, it's, if
0: someone is gay You can't turn them straight You can't send them right, to some camp right. You can't send them to some, some little camp Out in the woods somewhere And try to change them back and fix them Okay, So yeah, exactly. stop it and, stop try, and better yet Stop trying to fix people period yeah,
1: Stop exactly.
0: trying to fix people People must decide to fix themselves The best thing you can do is live a life That will inspire them to change If that's what they choose to do
2: so it's always Can't change people. people it's always funny <laughs> when you meet women that are fixer uppers and they always have one thing in common they're always single because yeah no, no guy's gonna put up with that for long it's like you know what forget it it's like yeah you're kind of hot and i was willing to deal with it for a while but i am fed up of every move i make you got some criticism for it and eventually you're just gonna say forget it
0: and then a lot of times all that is they're just projecting they're, they're trying to fix you so they don't have to fix themselves so well, i mean
2: you no, got it all wrong.
0: You're doing it wrong.
2: It, the whole thing about trying to fix someone is very arrogant, anyway, right? Isn't that? right I mean, exactly. You've already you're, judged, you're, you're, you've already judged say, them and yeah, already you're, put you're yourself to say, above you, them.
0: Yeah, you're trying to say,
2: "Oh, I've got myself so well together that I can fix you." It's like, "Well, who the fuck are you?" <laughs> you know, you're Mr. Perfect, Miss Perfect. Please, man. You know, it's like it's like no one has all the answers on this mystical life that we all lead. You know, it's a crazy it's a crazy existence. So I mean, anytime someone comes along and thinks they have it all figured out, it's like, come on. And so to me, it's like a real sign of arrogance when you think that you're, you're so perfect that you can go around fixing other people. Like, please do. Focus on yourself, man. All right? That's actually useful.
0: Mm-hmm. And like I said, the best way, I mean, the best way to be a teacher is to actually live the lesson and not to then preach the lesson. And I believe Gandhi even brought that up. Uh, just a paraphrase no doubt. Of what he said. No doubt. So it's just, yeah, just simple. Like, life. live the best yeah, life that you so can. Trust me. People are always watching. So if you're living the best life that you can, somebody's watching you, and they're being inspired. But if you're coming at them with all this madness and, hey, 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 you know, this is how you should be. This is how you should be. Well, that's just not going to work because just naturally as humans, we're going to rebel. Like, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> like, who right. the hell are you? You know, that, that inner child in us is like, we'll just throw a fit. Like, no, you can't tell me what to do, and I'm going to do what I want. Just be a living inspiration. And look how many people you can effectively change From that point on. And you're not really changing them. They're making a decision to change and flow with you. So that's my thing, man. But going back to what um, what we were talking to Bruce about, one thing I think the theme of today is passion, dude. I mean, it's it's obvious that Bruce has a passion for what he does. And I was just watching uh, back-to-back episodes of documentary series on Fox Sports 1 on on Mike Tyson, um, being Mike Tyson. And he went to Atlanta. He's hanging out with Evander Holyfield because, you know, everybody just has this idea that they're mortal enemies and they hate each other after the incident that happened. Mike bit Evander's ear and Evander headbutted him and all that. But, you know, over the years, they've made peace. Evander forgave him. Okay. And it's it's a big lesson on forgiveness. And also just not things are not exactly what people see there. Pretty much whatever you make up, that's your illusion. So everybody sees this big beef between them. It's not happening. These guys are actually friends. They support each other. So Mike flies out to Atlanta to support Evander's barbecue sauce, launch it right. at one of the stores out there, but also to go out and support um, Evander's son's amateur fight. His 15-year-old son was having an amateur fight. You can just imagine these kids are here, these amateur kids. They're getting into boxing for whatever reasons. And in walks, well, they've already seen Evander because they know that his son is fighting. And just like they mentioned in the show, Of course, everybody, Evander brought this up, he's like, of course, everybody wants to beat his son, so they can say, hey, I beat Holyfield's son. They're they're used to seeing Evander there already supporting his son, but then here comes Mike as well. You can just imagine the feeling of these kids. Here they are, these amateurs just getting started, and here are these two enigmas that are here, screaming for them and shouting them on. Now, even Mike brought up the fact that Evander's an introvert. Evander's very quiet, and you'll see during that episode, Evander's just kind of quiet, he's calculating, he's thinking. He's... Again, kind of like what Bruce was saying about Randy Couture being very cerebral. And Evander Holyfield was one of those fighters, very cerebral. So you can just see him really looking at the moves, looking at what his son's doing. And I can just imagine, probably in his head, he's probably putting together a game plan for their next training session, whether his son was going to win or not. It's just things that need to be worked on. But then you have Mike, who was just excited. I mean, this I mean, he was like a kid in a candy store. Here it is. This guy's been retired from fighting all these years. He's gone through all this madness. He's he's acquired all these accolades. He's pretty much in so many people's eyes known as the greatest of all time right there with Muhammad Ali. But this guy is still excited from the sport of boxing no matter what. In fact, he's, he even admitted that's what he lives for is the amateur fights. The kids were just coming up. They haven't been tainted. The money's not there. They haven't been corrupted. They're actually in there because they truly love it. They're putting their heart and soul on the line. They're hungry. And – He's still very passionate about the sport. He's giving these kids advice. Hey, hey, stick and move, stick and move. Get more of the jab, get more of the jab. And even the kid that l- end up losing, he even pulls him to the side and he tells him like, look, it's not personal. It's his business. Today was his day. It doesn't mean that you won't have your day. So don't let this set you back. Just keep pushing forward. You go in, you work on what you need to work on. You get back in there, and you get it done. But, again, don't take this person. Don't let this defeat you. Keep working hard. So, there it is. There's, there's that passion right there. But also, right. a lot of that can be said for people in business as well, they say, or with our training. Don't let these setbacks just stop you, man. Don't, don't take it personally. They happen. And what they are, they're not mistakes. They're not things to regret. They're at least life lessons, man. They're experiences to help make you stronger and build you up. Trust me, that kid that Mike pulled to the side, he's never going to forget that day. And oh, there's no sort of what that discussion yeah. did. We may see that kid six, seven years from now in the octagon, and he'll go back and they'll show that clip from Fox Sports One. Like, remember this day on <laughs> being Mike Tyson? That kid, that's me. And now I'm the featherweight champion of the UFC. It all started from that one conversation. Who knows? So. Uh, you, know, you never know
2: how much effect you have on others. I mean, I've had people tell me that, oh, you know, I met you years ago. You probably don't remember me. And you told me this. I asked you something about this or that. And you gave me some good advice. And I just want to tell you that made a big difference. And I went on to do this. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And honestly, I've had the opposite happen too. I've had someone. I had a guy email me recently. He said, "You know, I emailed you back in 2004, and you were a real prick with your mm-hmm. response." Now, that's, I'm just summarizing here. He went, "I didn't read the whole email because I was like, come on, dude.' I, I, even if I was a jerk in 2004, it's nine years later. You know, <laughs> tell tell me the fuck off then, not now. Nine years. I don't even know who you are now. You know? Anyway, I was. Uh, but it just shows you how long people can harbor stuff. I was like, wow." <laughs> And, you know, I might, I might not have been curt back then because uh, was, I had a lot going on that year looking back. And I think I was getting a lot of emails with people trying to ask for a lot of free advice. And there were times where I'd get frustrated about that and be like, look, you know, I charge for this stuff. And I'd give these kind of blunt responses. You know, I'm much more tactful now than I was back then. But anyway, right. that's part of the learning process, like what you're talking about. Right. But anyway, it just goes to show you, man, that it, it can really people can really internalize this stuff. You know, here's a guy who sent me an email nine years later. Right. That I mean, it's like you've been harboring that for nine years, and it was just an email. It's not like I was a jerk to this guy personally. I, right. I don't know. I don't think my intent was even to be a jerk then in the email. My guess is I don't remember because it's nine years ago. <laughs> you know, and I get a lot of emails, but my guess is I probably had some response like, "Look, you know, I get I, I charge for this kind of information, you know, whatever." It was probably something that maybe someone could take it back if it's not framed in the right context. So I can understand that you have to be tactful with people so you're not disrespecting them. So I, I that I get, but I mean, come on, man. Now, nine years later, get over it. But at the same time, <laughs> it just goes to show that you know whatever you're saying to people really has an effect on them. You know, our oh, yeah. words are so powerful.
0: People understand up, just how up, powerful words are. I mean, yeah, you can, I always wars, bring it wars up. Wars
2: happen because of words, right? That's how it starts. It's yeah,
0: like exactly. Words,
2: words are the beginning of a war, and then it becomes a physical conflict. So I think. But you could be a cool guy to someone for a few minutes, and that can have a profound impact. But at the same time, you could be a total jerk-off to somebody, and that can set off a whole negative course of action.
0: Yeah, it may be a course of action where you're not even involved anymore. It's like you, right. might, you might cut someone off, scream out your window, hey, jack off, you know, don't cut me <laughs> off. And then yeah. 10 minutes later, by the time you get home, 30 minutes later, you're watching this high-speed chase because this dude ran into someone because he was angry, and now the cops are after him. And you're like, wait a minute. That's the guy I told he shouldn't have cut me off or he's gone in and he shot up a gas station because he just, he was having a bad day and you just made it worse. So we just never understand just how powerful our words are. They can heal or they can hurt. It's really one or the other. There's no neutrality going on. right. There's nothing neutral about it. They either heal or they hurt. So it's just really, my thing is just know the impact of the word that you're going to say. Actually think before you open your mouth. How about yeah. that? that? That works so much better to actually like process it first before it comes out because once they come out, you can't take them back. No matter how many times you apologize, it's already on the record. I always laugh at these attorneys. I think attorneys are like the biggest examples of this. They'll throw something out there in front of the, in front of all the drawers and then it's like objection. Watch yourself counselor. Okay. Scratch that. No, it's out there now. Even if, if the stenographer does not, keep it on record that she typed it, the jurors, they heard you. They're not stupid. It's not like you got 12 Helen Kellers on there and no one <laughs> that, that Yeah, <laughs> right.
2: Stop yeah, it I, I, I always laugh. That's like, the, oh, the jury will ignore that last statement. Yeah, right. Oh, that's going to make uh, them focus on it. It's already out there, man. You just, it's, like, it's like ignoring an outfit in the room, that, that whole phrase, right? I mean, it's like, come on. It's like, okay, jury, don't take that last statement into account. It's like, oh uh-huh, sure. I'm sure they're not going to take <laughs> it into account at all.
0: Like, look, do I look like Bib Fortuna? Is this Return to the Jedi? You're not putting that Jedi on. <laughs> 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 you serve your master well. I serve my master well. You did not hear that. I did not hear that. <laughs> like, yeah, how much does it cost to get into the club? 50 bucks. Actually, it's free for
2: me. Actually, it is free for you. Come on in. <laughs> Oh, you know, to some degree, that jet out my stuff doesn't work. I mean, we could have a funny show about, you know, different times. I mean, in the fitness business, when you start making a name for yourself, you you can get a lot of free stuff just by asking for it. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize this, that, you know, if you have a name and a website, you put out a couple of videos or or even just someone that's a prolific writer. You just have some kind of name or even a lot of YouTube clips mm-hmm. that you, you can contact quite a few companies and say, hey, look, I'd love to test drive this product. And yeah. A lot of times they'll send it out to you. I mean, I mean, I've gotten weight bets for free. I've gotten all kinds of supplements for free. I've got and it's not free in the sense that I just take it and that's it. I'll give them feedback and a review. But the point is, as early in my career when I didn't have a budget and I wanted to get a lot of things, and I, but I started developing a name for myself from writing and and starting, and then I started putting out some videos, is that you could contact a company and say, "Look, I'd be interested in reviewing this, and here's my website, so you know who yeah. I am." And the success rate was extremely high. And a lot of people, and I got inspired to do it after I read a book called The Aladdin Factor, and it was all these inspiring stories about how people got stuff just by, just by asking for it. And it's not—I'm not saying that someone asked for a million bucks and they got it. All right, it's not stupid stuff like that. Right. But the point is, like, they would ask for it. It would be simple stuff, such as, "Hey, would you would you mind upgrading me to first class? And don't worry about the meal. I don't need it." Because a lot of times. They won't upgrade you to first class because they don't want to have to maybe they don't have an extra meal or something like that. Okay, that was right. at, least that, at least that was the explanation in the book. And this person talks about how he got upgraded to first class all the time just by asking about it. And then people hear that, they're like, Oh, that wouldn't work. It's like, well, you've never tried it. So how do you know whether it would work or not? Well,
0: trust me, yeah. If you said it so, wouldn't work, then guess what? You are one hundred percent correct. I know <laughs> because it, it won't it. because you won't ask.
2: I ask every time I fly somewhere has it work, does it work every time? Of course not. But it's worked twice. <laughs> and that's not bad, man. You know, I flew to I flew from here to I think it was uh, where was it? It might have been Minneapolis one time. And I said, look, is is Are there any options to upgrade to first class? And this lady's like, you know what? She's just, just being cool, man. These <laughs> <laughs> are two cents. This is my podcast, not yours. <laughs> but uh, I, I was just asking if like what the fee would be, and she was just like, ah, oh, you know, go ahead and upgrade. You. I was like, cool. And you know, so it's happened twice, man. So I mean, you you never know. You never know unless you ask about something. Hey, it's I'm like my dad,
0: my dad always said, a closed mouth never gets fed. Right. <laughs> so. and,
2: I, and I think this is what impedes people from succeeding in so many things because they, they say no to themselves before they even ask anyone else. Right. You know, they're like, oh, I'm going to try to – no, it's not going to work out because of this reason. Like you've already, you've already canceled yourself out. You didn't even wait for someone else to tell you it's not going to work out. You already said it to yourself. And I think people have these conversations with themselves all the time. They go to the gym, they're about to work out, and God, uh, you know what, I don't think I'm going to be able to lift this today. Sure enough, you can't. And yeah. then other days you're like, you know I feel like crap, but fuck it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push it hard. Just like what Bruce was saying about some of the times where he hasn't had any sleep or he's like, screwed up his ankle or his voice is shot, you know, whatever it is. You just suck it up and you figure out a way to make it happen. Right. And I, I, I think that's what a lot of people have trouble with, is that they're their own worst enemy. In the sense
0: that they're the first person to reject their dreams, not someone else. Right. And when it comes back to those businesses you were talking about and people reaching out to those businesses, look, no one's saying just go ahead and become a beggar here. What we're saying is <laughs> when you're talking the
2: When you go to the
0: businesses, you gotta make sure that it's a win win situation for them. Absolutely. So if you're gonna ask for product, you'd better damn sure give a good review and not just like, oh, I tried this product and it was really cool. No, man, come on, effort into <laughs> it. Put some effort right. into it, and if you, like, if you have a blog, blog about it. If you have a video camera, which everyone does, if you, pretty much if you have a laptop, yeah, do a video review on it. So, therefore, also, you have that social proof that you, have, that you actually even have it in your hands. Right, so, right. You know, instead of just, oh, okay, I want to make some money off this product. I'm just going to be in the field for this, even though I've never tried any of that stuff, which right now in this industry, not just the fitness industry, but just internet marketing, period, So many people become an affiliates of whatever they think is going to be a big six-figure launch. And they'll sit there and they'll just spam their email list with this stuff. But guess what? It's not just you. It's like 10 other people doing the exact same campaign. So you're getting emails from 10 different people about the same thing with the same words.
2: Irritates people at no end.
0: It's going to cancel each other out right here. And guess what? None of these people have tried this coaching program. They haven't even taken a look at it. Here's another thing. If you are someone that's going to be creating a product and you want affiliate, especially when you're pretty much unknown, don't be a tight ass in the beginning. Don't sit there and especially a high, someone who has a lot to bring to the table. So if you have someone like Mike, who has a big list or you have Mike and myself who have this podcast and we have these listeners, when you have someone like that, you don't just come to them like, Hey man, I want you to be affiliate and promote my product. Well, can I see it? Can you send it over to me? Can I check it out? Um, Well, you know, you can buy it, you know, and I'll give you a discount. Are are you, what? Huh? (laughs) Are are, are you kidding me? Are you serious right now? And I'll just tell someone right off the bat, look, dude, I'll only, I'll only become an affiliate and promote something that I truly have experience with. I've used it. I like it. And I really feel like it is a good fit for my followers. Right. Because I don't want to sit there and put my credibility on the line for someone who could give two rat's asses about me, my followers, and all they want to do is just Get as many people as possible on their launch day to buy their product and then be done with them with no follow-up, no support. I can't do that. So even if you're one of those people right now and you're listening, I won't do it.
3: No, it's,
2: it's kind of like the, whatever affiliate program you join has to make sense for your business and model. So, for right. example, you know, like a pocket pussy, for example, wouldn't be a good bet for my website.
3: You know? It's,
2: I mean, <laughs> I'd to, like, focused to get that out without laughing. That, was, that took a little bit of focus for me
3: right there. i was like, all right,
2: Mike, say it without cracking up. There you go. <laughs> but, you know, besides Ken Blackboard, I don't know just, who else oh is no, going to buy it. just the fact that you said my, that you up. the <laughs> you know, besides, besides
3: Ken, I don't know who's going to
2: buy it You know, off my website. So, I mean, it's one of those things where, you
0: know. It's, hey, it's, I'm going to be honest with you. Out of all the people on my list that follow us, I don't want to know who's going to buy that. I want that
3: <laughs> okay. wouldn't that way. Would that be kind of a funny
2: starting I
0: don't, don't so want to know.
2: Ha- you go over to someone's house, like a friend of yours, and you're just looking around and you see like a sex doll on the couch.
0: and you see a You open up a drawer to get like a knife or something, and there's a pocket
2: pussy in there. You know? I'd be like, oh, I'm getting the hell out of this place. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or you are just sitting there, and you looking at this? There's this canister just sitting on the mantle, and you pick it up, and it's a flashlight. You're like, whoa!
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you, if, folks, if you
2: want a good laugh, you've got to go look at uh, the fleshlight website. Though so, I mean, some of those those video clips they have are hilarious, man. Just 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 put this thing on their website. You go over there, uh, shower Mouth, Okay, get <laughs> get ready. To get ready to laugh hard. Okay. What's what's, just, right, what's, what's even funnier since here is that the inventor of the fleshlight is a guy who's emailed me before for hormone optimization advice and there seems like a really nice guy, you know, really into training and stuff like that, but but I thought it was so funny that, that, that I actually got an email from that guy because I, I make fun of products like this all the time. And not, not like in a demeaning way, I just think it's
0: hilarious. It's not so much about the product that's funny, it's just who's buying the product. It's <laughs> it's the person needing it. Just like the ones buying all these these lifelike sex dolls. I'm not mad at the guy that created it. He saw a need in yeah, a market. He's to, my, he's and to my pardon my pun here, he found a hole and he filled it, okay? <laughs> there was a need for this <laughs> in that niche. So I'm not mad at him at all. My thing is just the person that's buying it like, wow, what's going on here with this guy? That he has to get a lifelike doll that feels like a woman that seems like a woman and that moves like a woman like dude just go get a woman trust me all you have to go to a club in vegas you don't have to go buy a doll just buy a drink for some of the folks out there okay just go to a club and that won't be meaningful it probably won't end up being the person that you know that will end up being the woman you want to take home to your mom maybe it is but (laughs) the thing is you don't have to use something artificial and and made out of polyurethane or whatever else it's just like you just Come on, let's get back to reality uh,
2: here. My my, my advice is just wait for the uh, technology to improve. You know, when it when it's like the Androids and Blade Runner, then it's a good, then it's a go, then it's a green light. (laughs) uh, Oh man! (laughs) Oh man! What was I gonna say? Uh, Yeah, but but you know, you know where this stuff kind of goes back to is that we're, we're kind of in this Facebook, Twitter, internet world where people don't have as much interaction in the real world as they used to and I, th- yeah. I think things like that kind of feed into that behavior. It's like, you know what? You're socially inept, and instead of improving those skills and becoming a better communicator and having real-world interaction, don't worry about it. We'll send you a sex doll. You can stay home now. And just get back to Facebook and Twitter and etc., whatever else you're doing. So I, I, think, I think that's the scary thing, and it's like what Bruce talked about, how there's kind of a lack of role models, and I think that you really, you really have to take it upon yourself to find that inspiration, to find that role model yourself. And it's, it's not going to be on reality TV and all these other moronic shows. So I, I think, I think there's still role models there, and there's still inspiration there, but you have to actively, actively pursue it. You, you basically, where I'm going is, you have to be your own best role model. You know, be the kind of person that you would go to to take advice from, the kind of person you want to be like.
0: Oh man, it's kind of I'm trying to remember that that movie that Angelo Bassett and Tim Roth. Um, It was like this virtual reality movie, man. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Angela Bassett, and I think Cameron had something to do with that movie. He was the director or something like that. Angela Bassett was the heavy, right? She was like this badass security guard type person. Yeah, exactly. And then what was the guy's name? I don't
0: think it was Tim Tim. Roth. was the main character, I believe.
2: Uh, There was someone else in that movie. What's his name? He was in quite a few. I'm going to look it up
0: right now, actually, while we're talking about this. I know, I'm, but, trying to, uh, I'm trying to go through IMDb really quick. <laughs> no,
2: that, was, that, was, that was a good movie. That was a good movie. And the, the, the main actor was actually in a bunch of other things.
0: Here, I need to take some I think uh, it was like 96. I believe that's when he came yeah, out. Yeah, it was a
2: while back. It was oh. a while back. But uh, I'm trying to think of He was in The English Patient. That's, oh. that's going to that's gonna help trigger for me, the, which is also a great movie. He was in The English Patient. It was early in his career when he was in that movie with Ra- Ralph Fiennes. That's who Yeah, was.
0: Yeah, Ralph Fiennes.
2: Yeah, good. Ralph Fiennes. That was a good movie though, and it kind of alluded to like what we're talking about. This whole, you're, like, you're, he was addicted to like living in this virtual world. It was strange Days. Strange Days. That's
0: it. Yep. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, that's a
0: good movie. And it's I like wasn't guy, to guy, I wasn't guy. gonna be able to get off the show without thinking about this man. I was like, oh, come I know, on, I gotta remember. Know. Yeah, but it was. Yeah, it was. Um, James Cameron did write it.
2: It was directed by Catherine Bigelow. This is earlier in her career before she started doing stuff like The Hurt Locker and so forth. Yeah. And uh, she also did uh, Point Break, which is a one of those guilty pleasure
0: type movies. You know?
2: yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, like Roadhouse, right? It's like, you know, you're come just, yeah,
0: anything with Swayze. Come on, anything yeah, yeah, that's yeah. going to... Anything that's going to have Kim, our friend Kim Blackburn quoting from, yeah, it's going to be a guilty pleasure.
2: Road asked for those guilty pleasures. Like, well, there's no reason why I should be
0: enjoying this movie, yet
3: I
2: am.
0: They're surfers and they're criminals. What? Yeah,
2: point Break is kind of like, that's like early in Keanu Reeves' career. Exactly. you got
0: to go down, bro. It's got to be that it was, way. <laughs> it was during the Bill and Ted era right there. You know, this is Free Matrix. <laughs> people put their faith in you and they died. <laughs> but again, it's, it's one of those highly entertaining
2: movies. You can catch it like right in the middle. And You're gonna watch it all the way to the end. You know exactly. what I mean? Like wherever you catch it, you're gonna be watching it from that point all the way to the end. But yeah, Strange Days really got into it, it and it was very progressive because it really this is way before the before the popularization of the internet and so forth. I mean, the internet was around, but it just wasn't as prolific as it is right now. This is 1996 where people, people were like addicted to being in these virtual worlds. They would put these glasses on, and this guy just wanted to have – he just wanted to keep reliving the experiences that he had with his wife who died. And, or actually it was his ex-girlfriend. It wasn't even yeah. his wife who died. That would have been a better storyline. It was his ex-girlfriend, and he, 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 just, he just couldn't move on with his life. And a lot of people hear that they are like, come on. But a
0: lot of people are not that far from it either. But what's yeah. so funny that the setting of the movie was, it was only uh, three years ahead of when the movie came out. The The year was, it was set in 1999. That was the setting right, of the whole movie, right. which is so crazy. And Julia Lewis was, was the, was the yeah, one Yeah, Julia the, Lewis, love her, man. I think she's the not. ultimate, she, back during the 90s, she could play the ultimate, like, nutcase oh, yeah, in the movie. totally. totally. <laughs> I mean, especially, uh, what was it? Natural, um, natural Born California Killers. California you Yeah, Natural Born Killers. Natural yeah, yeah California Cations. Cal- uh, not California but California. California, uh, California, yeah. Now, yeah, I have to give it up. Brad Pitt played a really good nut job, too. <laughs>
2: incredible. Yeah, incredible.
0: So, yeah, people, yeah. if you haven't seen any of these movies, the the 90s weren't completely bad. There were some good movies during the 90s. I mean, yeah, it's just the music sucked. <laughs> that was a trade-off. You had great movies and really crappy music for the 90s.
2: Speaking of uh, movies, I saw I saw Generation Iron the other night, and that's basically a sequel to Pumping Iron.
0: I was about to say, why does that sound so familiar? I mean, yeah,
2: it's, 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 a, it's a documentary about bodybuilders. Same guy who did Pumping Iron did this one, so it kind of follows the guys who are competing in the Mr. Olympia now. And, you know, I'm not, as you know, I'm not a fan of bodybuilding. It's definitely not something I follow, and it's even, even the training systems are not something that I, I would recommend to most people. But it was very interesting to see it's kind of the background of, of what goes on with these guys preparing for a competition and so forth. And you have to respect the passion and the hard work that goes into it. And a lot of times their, their hard work is diminished because people automatically will say, well, you know, if I use steroids, I can look
0: like that you or I can be that strong. And the reality is, no, you couldn't. No, you couldn't uh, because I, there's some, I, I there's some lot, real of- focus going on here. Yeah. And these guys are very meticulous about what they eat, when they yeah, eat, yeah. how many calories yeah. they get in. They really dial in what they need to get to where they are. They're pretty much right up there, where, they're right up there with these fighters. When yeah, these so fighters not, realize they have a fight today. camp and they have three months, and they have a certain amount of weight to cut, they start really dialing in their nutrition. They dial in their training. They make sure they're not overtraining. They, they dial in their recovery. These guys do the exact same thing. It's just for a different result. So I, I, I really get ticked off when I hear people say, "Like, well, if I was roided out, I'd be this, this, and this. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Because you're going to miss all the other stuff that's really important to get you to where you want to be in these type of situations like bodybuilding. It's not just roids. It's not just – anything anabolic or anything like that. It's just like you're missing the training portion, you're missing the food, you're missing the recovery, and you're not doing that now. So what's,
2: it's what just you as ridiculous to saying, you know, if I took growth hormone testosterone, I could go play professional baseball <laughs> or
0: football
2: or, or be a UFC fighter. Come on. That is
0: so funny. It's almost like saying, no, Mark McGuire wasn't playing baseball. He wasn't playing T-ball and he wasn't great back then. It's just something he just popped up one day when he started taking GH or whatever. So or just saying, OK, yeah, these fighters, yeah, they just started. They saw a UFC pay-per-view a couple years ago. Yeah, now they're in the UFC and they're making I could do that. <laughs> Especially coming from, like, a 40-year-old guy. It's always hilarious to me. Look, oh, dude, I, you're not, you're not Herschel Walker. He was, a, <laughs> he was an athletic phenom long before doing martial arts and going to the Winter Olympics. He's a special person. So you just can't sit there and decide in your mid-40s, I'm going to become an MMA fighter. I'm going to be great at it. Because I'm not necessarily going to say that he's – I'm not going to say that Herschel Walker is the greatest MMA fighter. They put him up against people that was a little bit more in line to not – Hurt him and kill him. They're not going to put him up against a Brock Lesnar. Yeah,
2: exactly. They don't want him to go out there and just get destroyed.
0: The armchair people who just sit back, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. If you could do that, you would do that. That's the thing.
2: Well, it's like what Bruce was talking about about keyboard warriors. You know, it's easy to talk to up online. You know, and then that's why people in our business often say, you know, how do you deal with people that talk smack and this and that and so forth? But I go I go with easy man, I just erase such people. You know, someone yeah, move on. someone talks a bunch of smack on YouTube about one of my clips, it's called delete and not think about it ever again. I I w I won't even read the whole message. I see where it's going. I'm like, you know what? Exactly. Delete delete and delete again so you don't even have the option to, to read this or respond. And I'll do that with emails too. You know, someone's sending me some constructive criticism, I'm happy to read that. But if someone just sends me some email where it's just like just hating, uh, I'm not going to read it or respond to it. I'm going to delete and delete again, erase. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to waste my time with all that negativity. It's just not it's not productive to me or anything I'm trying to achieve.
0: Well, you know, you don't want to feed the animals, man. So you don't want to sit there and answer them back. Yeah, you yeah. don't want to, course, you 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 don't to want answer what, yeah. what Oprah calls the Twitter thug. So funny yeah. that says that. But here's the here's a cool thing about all that. Obviously, you're doing something right. Because, obviously, you, you've stirred up something. They're actually on your site. They're on your YouTube channel. They're reading your email. Obviously, there is something about you that's attracting them to you. So you're doing something, whether they like it or not. You're stirring up something inside them, and they're trying to project it on you. Again, like Mike Tyson told the kid, don't take it personally. It's like you're doing something. If they're not thinking about you, if you're not getting emails, if you're not getting reviews, you're not getting constructive criticism, if no one's saying anything about you, good or bad, something's not working. And if everything about you is good, then you're in a BS industry. You're, you're right, catering to right. BS people and a bunch of yes folks. You've got to have some criticism. Otherwise, how are you going to grow? Oh, man. Yeah. But
2: uh, we, had, we had a couple of listener questions. One was about, you know, what do you do when you're burned out with an exercise? Like this guy's been deadlifting for a while, and it's like each week is like a battle of attrition. He's, just not, he's not moving up on weight. He's feeling more beat up. And I think, I mean, you know, a couple of obvious things would be to dial back the intensity and, and work on technique. But what you could also do is just switch to another lift that's similar, but different enough that it's, it's not going to work your nervous system in the same way, such as a trap bar deadlift. Trap bar deadlift, yeah. Yeah, or you could do good mornings instead, or you could do yeah. rack pulls, which is one thing I started doing, where you start the bar just below knee level, and you pull from there. I'll do that once a week, and then I'll do a regular deadlift once a week, about three days apart. And basically, that just allows you to work on a, on the moves, so you're still dialing in technique. But it, it just gives you a break because your mind can get burned out with the repetitive nature of training if you're just constantly doing the same moves yep. over
0: and over and Trust over me. again. As a GS athlete, I truly understand that.
2: Right. So I mean, sometimes you just want to modify it slightly, or you could even if you're doing an alternate grip, you could just do a overhand grip. You could. Do an extended deadlift where you're on blocks. You actually increase the range of motion. So, I mean, you could still deadlift, but just change. Do a sumo deadlift instead for a while. Trap bar. Do rack pulls. Okay, And the other
0: deadlift where they're – I've seen uh, seen this. I haven't tried it myself. But the other deadlift where they're kind of doing a split stance where they kind of have – they have the barbell between their feet. Right, yeah, a staggered it. stance, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there's, no, there's something a, there's
2: else. A, there's a hack squat where the bar is behind your feet. You know, that's another variation. Yeah. You can work on really heavy double kettlebell swings for a while to really work on the hip hinge and driving through forcefully. So, and then, you know, But most of the time, it, it just sounds like you're, you're too close to your one rep max, and you just need to dial back to the intensity. This happens to me all the time with deadlifts, where I get on a nice roll, and then mm-hmm. I'm just increasing the weight every week, and then eventually you hit that wall, and – The best thing to do at that point is dial back the intensity, work on acceleration, work on similar but different moves. Just uh, give yourself a little bit of a break there, and you'll be back on the progress road in no time. And then another thing is is the listener question was about leptin sensitivity, insulin sensitivity, and the benefits of longer stretches in between each meal. And he noticed that he finds that he doesn't have to eat anywhere near as much and that he's more energetic, and he was curious why that's the case. And it, it really, this is what insulin and leptin sensitivity is all about, is because those hormones have become more sensitive. The receptors are more sensitive, where you're actually processing the food better, so you don't have to eat as much to get the same effect, and you're giving yourself longer breaks in between each meal, so you have more energy that can build up for optimal digestion as right. well. Your enzymatic pool is going up, and you have more time to process that food in between meals, as opposed to you know eating every two hours, where... Your body's still trying to process the last meal you ate, and now you're throwing yeah. another one on top, and then it's trying to process two meals now. And now you're throwing another one in the mix. So people that often eat frequently find that you're kind of tired all the time and you're hungry all the time, and that's not a good combination. No. You know, what, I think, what I like is with the longer stretches is you find that you're not hungry all the time and you're not tired all the time, and you know that's the way I want to feel each day. I don't want <laughs> I don't want to have to worry about eating every two hours and then have this constant fatigue and this constant feeling of not being satisfied either. You should feel content after a good meal, not ready to eat again in an hour.
0: Yeah, and the last thing I really want to do is spend most of my day thinking about food. And that's, right. the, that's the issue when you start eating every two hours, every three hours, that you don't have time to think about other things in your life because you're constantly thinking about your next meal. Okay, I've got to eat every two hours, every three hours. I've got to get this in. Am I getting enough protein in? Am I getting all my macros in here, there, and everywhere else? So right. when do you have time to actually live and do other things in life? unless you are an athlete that is constantly you train, you eat, you train, you eat, you train, you eat, you You recover, you sleep. Okay, if that's your life, then you have to train. You have to do these things according to that. Right. But just for the average everyday person, this is not your life. And you don't have to do that. If you're not trying to be a professional bodybuilder or an amateur bodybuilder for that matter, you don't have to eat like one. You don't have to train like one. If you don't want to look like one, then don't eat and train like one. If being a high-level athlete – is not a priority in your life and that you're getting paid for or something that you're trying to get to where you can get paid for it, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to train that way. You don't have to eat that way. It's so simple that sometimes it's complicated. But you have to ask, what are my goals? And so if your goal is just to feel better, look better, not feel tired and run down all the time, then you have to really start to produce and put your life together according to that, even your food. So you have to ask yourself, what am I eating and how is this going to make me feel? If I want to feel better, then is this entire bag of potato chips really going to make me feel better? Or I want to feel better and have a lot of energy, but, man, all I'm doing is eating, 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 and by the time I finish eating, I'm just feeling tired and I'm just feeling sluggish. Well, let's go ahead and try to remove some of these meals out of of the way, first of all. Then let's take a look at your sleep, how are you sleeping. Also, when's that last meal you're having at the day, at the end of the day? If you're eating at 11 o'clock and you're going to bed at 1230, then you're going to feel tired because guess what? Your stomach is still going to have to work to process and digest that food. So always look at your meal timing as well in comparison to where your sleep is going to be. So no there's doubt. so many different facts. There's not just one thing, folks. It's always multiple things coming at you at one time. So you just pretty much have to pick apart each little thing one by one and just kind of experiment. Like, okay, maybe the food is on point. The sleep is not. So you have to sit there. And that's why you have to document these things. When these things are not going the way you think they should, that's when you have the document. You just can't leave the chance and take a, and a wild guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: And uh, the, other, the other thing is that you know people often talk about how if, if, you're, if you're not going to be the best at something, why bother, right? We hear that statement all the time. Right. And I, I think that's a real distraction too because what about actually enjoying what you're doing? You know what I mean? You, you don't have to be the best person. You don't have to be the best fighter to love fighting. You don't have to be the best ring announcer to love doing it. You, you don't have to be the best strength coach to, to love being a coach. So I, I think I, – I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to be the best at whatever you do, no question about it. But I think, I think it's the wrong focus. I think the focus goes back to what we were talking about and has been the whole theme of the show is passion, having, having a strong passion about something. Because when you love what you do, that's the payoff right there. Right you know it's not the accolades from other people, it's not the pat on the back, it's not the testimonials you get. I mean, those are all nice things, but those are all side effects from your passion. That's why you're getting those things because you're really passionate about what you're doing, and as a result, other people are benefiting from that. Right. So I, th- I think the focus should really be on how do you make your life enjoyable and what kind of career is going to make you excited each day? because nothing is going to ruin the quality of your life more than just having a job you hate. And, of course, the only thing that would be more would be some life-debilitating disease or something like that. But right. let, let's take that out of the equation, if, I mean, if you hate what you do each day, it's impossible to really be happy and, and, and take, enjoy your life fully.
0: Right. So, you know, start finding methods of doing something else. Notice I didn't say, well, if you hate what you're doing every day, then stop doing it right now. Right, right. Because that's, just that's an totally unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. That's unrealistic. But start taking measures to start doing the things that you really, really love. So therefore, you can walk away from what you really, really can't stand. You have to really think like, okay, what gets me going? What gets me percolating here? And start writing it down, man. And just like, okay, here it is. I wrote it down. It makes it a little bit more real when you write it down. Keep it in your head. It'll get lost in the shuffle of all right. the other madness going on in your head and all the other distractions that are buying for space in your brain. There's a lot of things in this world trying to eat up that real estate in your mind right now. That's why you have to take some time. Just pull out, hey, go to Office Max, Buy a big stack of those yellow legal pads. I live and die by those things. Go get those yellow legal pads, and whatever subjects that you truly, truly love, assign a yellow pad to that. In that, you start writing down, hey, this is what I want to do. I really like doing this. Okay, now that I like doing this, how, what's the first step for me to start moving toward doing more of that? Okay, I need to do this and this and then this and this. And then you just start going, you start brainstorming. And next thing you know, you're putting together a plan. Now, once you do all that, here's the key. Once you write it all down, go do something. Out of all that stuff you wrote down, pick something and start doing it right then. Just do it. If you want to start a business and you want to start a blog or something to promote that business, once you do all that and you write out your little map or whatever, take your butt over to Namecheap and go register a domain name. And there's your first step. It'll it'll, it'll get things going. Once you register that domain name, next thing you're like, well, let me go ahead and do the add-on and put on a WordPress blog. Okay. All right. Let me put my first blog up. Yeah. And guess what? It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be, just get it going. Because the thing about it, the more and more you do it, the better it's going to be for you. When the passion is there, you probably have to pull yourself back. Like, okay, let me stop writing so much. (laughs) I just wrote like, an entire like chapter on my blog here because I was just going and I was just feeling it and the passion was there. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And just take that split it up and now you've got multiple blog posts. So if you sit there and you write about a chapter's worth of on one blog post, split it up. Now you've got about a good week or two's worth of blogs. So you can focus on something else like maybe video. Get on YouTube. So and that's another thing when we talk about social media, find the social media that best resonates with your personality. If right. you're someone that can, like Mike and myself who loves to run your mouth, then a podcast might be for you. Right. If you're someone that's not afraid of a camera, then put out videos on YouTube. And don't give a rat's ass about the criticism because most of the people criticized criticize on YouTube will never step foot in front of a camera. So I never have to worry about them. So, but, you know, that's
2: funny. I, I got to jump in with it right there because you make a great point. The, the criticism always comes from people that never have clips themselves, ever.
0: Well, most of them don't even have a channel. They're just anonymous. Yeah, exactly. So
2: someone's been like, oh, your technique sucks like this. Well, then show me how to do it. Where's your clip of doing it properly?
0: And it's please never enlighten there. Enlighten me, please. Oh, oh, God of the kettlebell world.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's ne- Well, like my friend Dale Hart, who we had on the show many episodes back. I remember I was complaining to him one day. I'm like, you know, these idiots on YouTube on one of my clips. And then he's like, look, man, you know, you broke the first universal rule. I'm like, what's that? He's like, you're arguing with idiots on the Internet. Yeah. Like, there's, there's no way to win. <laughs> nope. Just, the second you engage, you've already lost. Yep. <laughs> There's no way. To, I mean, come on. You, you really don't have something more productive to do with your day than that, and if you don't have something productive to do, go do something fun then because that's right. more productive than wasting your time with idiots. They're, exactly. not, they're, they're not trying to help you out. You know, it's not like they're offering you constructive criticism where it's in your benefit. No. These are people that are just trying to get a little bit of power by trying to put some negativity on you, trying to ruin your day or ruin your mood or whatever. <laughs> so if you respond in an emotional way, you've already lost.
0: Exactly. And trust me, the only way they can ruin your day is if you let them.
2: Yeah, Exactly. It's, it's just, a, just
0: that simple. Power's on you. Exactly.
2: Uh, back to a couple of training questions here. One guy was also asking, this is for both of us, what our opinion was on weighted dips, if it's something that either one of us do in our program. And I, I'm a big fan of weighted dips, actually. I've been doing weighted dips since I was 23 or so. I mean, doing it for a long time. It's one of those moves I'm, I'm strong on as well. I can work up to pretty, pretty heavy weights on weighted dips relatively fast. And I, and I do think it's a great foundation for developing good pressing power, bench press, overhead press. It's great for your core because you have to stabilize so much with that weight dangling off of you. Right. So the, only, the only thing about it is that anyone who has any shoulder issues at all will probably find that it aggravates those. Right. You, have, you have to have good shoulder flexibility, and you just have to have the right body type for it. You know, Some people, it's just the way they're put together, it it's just doesn't feel comfortable. Yeah, and if other, you have a short
0: humorous, it'll, it'll kind of suck.
2: You know? Exactly,
0: exactly. I mean, me, I've, I've been doing
2: weighted dips for a long time, and even now coming on 40, I still do heavy weighted dips. My shoulders feel great. But, you know, kettlebell training really helps with shoulder stability and flexibility, and also I do a lot of Indian club stuff and things like that to keep shoulders mobile. So I think, I think if your shoulders are healthy – no doubt, you can do weighted dips. No, and it's one of the best exercises to just blow up your triceps. You know, if you're looking Yeah, to get a big, that's, that's big one triceps. of the reasons
0: why I love to do it. And I'm, yeah, I'm, my favorite way to do it, I like throwing the chains around my neck. And what we have in our gym, we have these two parallel bars that uh-huh. we have on two benches. And sometimes I will throw the chains on, or on my neck, and what I'll do, I'll either do stationary dips like right there, or what I'll do is actually like do a, a walk, a hand walk you know, with my feet pretty much being parallel with those parallel bars, and just use that. That will put a burning on your triceps just oh, walking yeah. across that. So even if you go and have, like, parallel bars at, like, a local park or something like that, climb up on top of it, put your feet flat on the bars. You're pretty much in a position as if you're getting ready to do dip below the bar. But instead of doing actual dips, just start walking. Just use your hands to walk across there with your feet still on the bar, which is going to add resistance to that. So that resistance, as you're pushing, if you're moving forward with your hands, The resistance from your feet is pushing back towards your hands, so you're kind of meeting in the middle right here. And also what happens with this, if you curl your stomach just a little bit, if you just kind of lean forward just a little, you're going to put a burning on your midsection as well. So I like doing that. And another reason why I like weighted dips, as a kettlebell sport athlete, really helps me with my lockout. It makes locking out two 24-kilogram bells or two 28s or a pair of 32s a little less daunting right there. Another thing that's really happening with this is – Pulling your shoulder blades together while doing these dips, you're really using, really working the lats and the scapula as well. That really helps you with your lockout as well. So instead no of just letting them be passive and just trying to use your triceps only. And another beautiful thing about doing um, weighted dips is I have no reason to have to do tricep extensions on a weight machine or something like right, that right. To, get big, to get big triceps. And here's the thing. Most, a lot of guys, especially younger guys who like to go to the gym and they want to do curls, they want to get bigger arms. Here's the key to getting bigger arms. Get bigger triceps. Yeah, that's the no, true. That's triceps to make
2: up, yeah, they make up such a larger portion of your arms, exactly. than, than just doing bicep exercises. So I mean, it's I mean, you really can't go wrong with a combination of weighted pull-ups and weighted dips for yep. really blowing up the upper body. And weighted dips are often referred to as the upper body squat, and for good reason because it right. really blows up your upper body, your shoulders, your triceps, the, your your lats. You know, there's so much lat engagement with just the just lowering under control with that right. weight, driving out of the bottom. And that's and, the thing,
0: under, Mike said under control, and that's, the, I think, yeah. the missing element a lot of times on dips and push-ups is on the eccentric portion of it, people just collapse.
3: Exactly. They just, they just flop and right, right into
0: with that okay. drop, you open up the door for so many things to go wrong. You've lost control of your body. You've lost body awareness. So you just drop, and then what usually happens, you get that twinge in the rotator cuff or in, or in the delt, or whatever, even just even in your traps start getting a sharp pain and then you go into panic mode and then everything just goes to crap from there with dips, it's not a drop it's a pull you pull (laughs) yourself down and you press yourself up so it's it's beautiful because you get an equal amount of resistance here you got a pushing and a pulling movement all in one and push-ups are no different you just you take a plank and basically all you're doing is pulling yourself down and then pushing yourself up or pulling yourself down by engaging your lats and bringing them toward each other as you pull down, which opens up your chest, opens up your pecs, and really opens up so you can inhale as you go down. And then right. as you're ready to press through, it's not about trying to push yourself up. It's about imagining that you're going to push your hands through the floor. Push your hands through the concrete. Imagine that you're doing that on the push-up, and then watch how those lats spread. Watch how that chest gets engaged. And then, again, you've got a nice balance of push-pull, whether it's dips or push-ups. So that's why... Doing just those two things, and then if you add some, some weight to it, like chains around your neck for the dips, or if you put on a weight vest to do your push-ups, I mean, there's no reason for you to not build muscle and size just from body weight exercise.
2: Oh, no question. No question. And then dips, I mean, uh, dips are kind of addictive because when you start getting good at them and you're starting to put some real weight on, I mean, your arms just get so blown up. After doing a really heavy set of dips, you're just like, whoa, this exercise is fun. Just start with your body weight. See if you can do a full range without any pain before you even think about adding weight. And if you can't do a full range, you know, work on shoulder flexibility and mobility, and then gradually work into that full range, you can do half reps. But I wouldn't add a whole bunch of weight until you can do a full rep. In other words, if if you can't do a full rep with your body weight, don't just do half reps with a bunch of weight. My attitude is work on increasing that flexibility and so forth. And you may find that a full range is just not optimal, even with your own body weight, maybe maybe a little bit more than half, and you're still getting some benefits with the triceps and so forth. So, you know, each person has to experiment with each different exercise and see what's the best fit.
3: And I would keep
2: the rep range relatively low starting off, just working on perfect technique, like what Sincere was saying, controlled negatives, slight pause at the bottom, explode out of it, hold the top for a second. No, don't get sloppy. I think that, that's the one thing that irritates me the most about just seeing anyone work out is, is really sloppy technique. Right. You know, they're trying, to, they're trying to lift too much too soon. So really sloppy bent over rows where they've got, they've got the wrist wraps around the bar because they don't have enough grip strength to handle it. That's a sign right there. Like, if you, you can't even hold on to the bar, you're not going to be able to do rows with this. So get rid yeah. of the wrist wraps and get your grip stronger. And, and don't you, you shouldn't look like you're trying to dry hump the bar when you're pulling it to your waist. It should be a controlled motion. There might be a little bit of heaving and that the weights get heavier, but you, know, you shouldn't you should look like you're trying to, I don't know, do a kettlebell swing when it's a bent over row. And
0: yeah, be- and on, the, oh, on that same note, there's also an issue I always see with dips as well. On the part where you're, pu- where you're pushing yourself up, don't let your hips move up with you. So don't look right, like you're boosting right. the air because now it's, just, <laughs> it, it's right. going from a dip to a hip thrust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to know the difference between the two. Keep those hips perpendicular to the floor. Keep those hips in a 90-degree angle. And here's another thing, just to kind of help yourself out. If you're just starting off, before you even start doing weighted dips, on the lockout, don't necessarily lock out. Don't just sit there and grind your elbows. So always keep a slight bend in your elbows. Focus more on, like, really flexing that tricep in that upper portion of the dip itself. I see too many people when they lock out, they mash down, and what ends up happening, you, the, the elbows get sore, and then their wrists get sore because you're mashing down on your wrist now. But one thing about it, you can't mash down on your wrist whether you're doing dips or doing push-ups if you keep your elbows slightly bent. So, and also watch your hand position as well. If you want to kind of take some of the pressure off of, of the dips itself, You look at your leg position as well. So if you're going to do it with your legs out straight, it's a little more difficult for some people. So you might want to go ahead and just bend your knees so you have your legs in a 90-degree angle there. What what I mean is your upper thigh is going to be parallel with the floor. So with that, that kind of gives you a chance. If that's still a bit of a struggle, separate your feet because the closer you bring your feet together, the more difficult it's going to be. And this also works for push-ups as well. So when your feet are hip-width apart on a push-up, that kind of makes it a little bit easier to do the push-up and take some of the struggle out of it than putting your feet together. So you have a little bit more of a base of support with that. Just little things you can tweak here and there, but out of all these different ways of tweaking it, this gives you more reasons to not have sloppy technique and just try to grind and fight through it. No doubt.
2: But one one other question we had is, you know, combining kettlebell training with barbell work, other things. You know, we get this all the time. So just to answer it again. You know, there's there's several different ways to go, I and mean, we could have a whole episode talking about all the different variations. One way that's simple is. You do barbell powerlifting work, stuff at the gym two times a week, right, Monday and Thursday. Tuesday and Friday, you have kettlebells at your home gym. Do a bunch of metabolic conditioning. You know, pick five moves that cover the whole body, so upper uh, clean and press, kettlebell swing, renegade row, front squat, you know, whatever. You know, just, just pick a bunch of different moves where you're getting a full-body workout and take short breaks, go through it circuit training style. And you know, So that's one option there. And the other option would be if you have everything at your home gym, squat rack, barbell, et cetera, you could do kettlebells at the beginning to fire up your nervous system, something like a double snatch or double swing, relatively low reps just to get yourself ready to go. You could do some high rep stuff at the end of a workout as a finisher. You can do kettlebells for core moves in the middle of your workout, Turkish get up, windmill, side press, things like that. And uh, you, could, you could, instead of doing barbell presses, you could do heavy double kettlebell presses that day, then do barbell bent over row. You could do a barbell squat, double sw- uh, swings in between each set to stay loose. And th- there's so many different combinations. But just remember that kettlebells are weights, too. So it's not like it's a totally – people often – I remember when I used to do just kettlebell-only workouts, people would ask me, oh, do you, do you lift weights as well? I'm like, yeah, kettlebells are weights, buddy. I mean, don't look at them as a totally separate system altogether. You can interchange a lot of these different training
0: tools. Yeah, it's so funny. Well, doing snatches or swings, and someone's like, yeah, these are really cool, but um, are we going to do cardio too? I'm like, 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 like do
2: another another 40 reps, then ask me that question. Exactly.
0: Do do 100 hand-to-hand swings right there and come back to me, and let's talk about cardio. I would tell people, like, look, cardio is pretty much anything that's going to get your heart rate going. Traffic on Interstate 10 here in Houston is cardio for most people. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> so it'll, it's, It gives you a nice little increase in your heart rate when you're driving around here. So that's cardio right there. If you're just looking for simple cardio, someone's going to get your heart rate up. So, no, <laughs> don't, don't, don't just think that cardio is always going to be confined to just getting on a treadmill or doing long extended runs, which after a while, is, is that really becoming cardio at that point when you've been running the same distance over and over and over at the same pace without any kind of change up in speed or anything like that. It's just sustained. Is that really cardio? I mean, yeah, everything's cardio. As long as your heart is beating, it's cardio. (laughs) Right.
2: Right. And then final question. And I think we'll wrap up is, and we get this one fairly often too, is advice for older people, older guys working on older women, how things should change. And I think we've addressed this before, but we can talk about it again. And then we'll, we'll have some guests come on too, like a friend of mine, Brooks Kubik, author of dinosaur training. Now he, He actually has a book called Gray Hair, Black Iron, which is all about 40-plus training advice for people in the 40-plus range. Really, my attitude about uh, shoulder training, it really depends on how much mileage you have on you. I mean, you could be 50 with not a lot of wear and tear just because you've taken care of yourself for so many years where you don't really have to modify too much. you, you, You have to really dial in the restoration, make sure your sleep is good, but you can still push it pretty hard in the gym, no problem. Other people, they tend to accumulate a lot of injuries over the years, and then they're going to have to modify based on that. Like maybe now you have to do floor presses instead of the bench press because you don't have the shoulder
0: range anymore.
2: You just have to look at what exercises are the best fit for you and balancing intense training with restoration.
0: Exactly, and most importantly, recovery, recovery, recovery.
2: Yeah, really. Recovery,
0: recovery, recovery, people. I get so tired when people are like, ah, I don't have time to do that. Well, you don't have time to train. If you don't have time to recover, right. you don't have time to train.
2: You don't have time to make progress either then.
0: Exactly. <laughs> you know? So recovery. Take a walk. Stretch. Do yoga. Meditate. Do joint mobility. Pick up some Indian clubs. Have enough respect for your body to incorporate these drills into your training, beginning and after your training, and on days you're not training. You'll actually get more benefit from them than actually doing the actual resistance training itself because you can't have one without the other. If you're not recovering correctly – your resistance training is going to be futile.
2: And I, and I think swimming is great.
0: Oh, swimming is older awesome.
2: Trainees. I think it's Less great for anyone, body. but definitely older training. Yes, yeah, it's, it's so good yeah, for those just active work. recovery. I'm yeah. going to go do that today, actually. I'm going to go over to the Palazzo Pool after this, after we get off the phone here, and I'm going to go hit, sit in the hot tub. I'm going to go swim some laps, and I'm, and I'm just going to relax for, for this today. Today's my day off from working out, and then tomorrow I'm jumping in hard. And I'll, I'll, I'm definitely going to have a great workout tomorrow because today I'm really going to take care of restoration. I'm going to fuel up properly, get a good night's sleep, bam, wake up tomorrow ready to crush it. Yep. So, I mean, if you want to have good workouts and you want to have training and longevity, you have to restore. You have yep. to make sure your restoration is dialed in. And speaking of restore, my new supplement, Zone which is a (laughs) systemic enzyme product that really helps with inflammation and so forth, will finally be out, I'm estimating, October 10th. There was a little hiccup. It should have been out this week, but there was a little hiccup on the the quality control side, which I won't get into, but obviously I'm not going to release anything until I know the quality control is perfect. That's one of the reasons why my testosterone booster took so long is that we kept on having issues with making sure that was dialed in and it hasn't been as bad with this product, fortunately, but there was a couple concerns where I'm like, look, if that's what's going on, let's start over and do another batch and make sure this is done right. So that's basically what happened there. But anyway, it's going to be out. I've gotten word that they're, they're putting the labels on the bottles as we speak and that it should ship out to my fulfillment company late next week at the latest. And that means I'll have it the following week ready to go. So I'll, I'll, do, a, I'll do a pre-release special when I know that the product is actually on the way to my fulfillment company, because for those of you that sell anything, pre-releases can be a nightmare because often, I mean, for example, imagine if I thought my RestoreZone was coming out on September 15th and I did a pre-release on September 9th and then I find out it's not coming out until uh, October 12th or so, people are going to be like, what the hell? So that's why pre-release is a pain in the ass because more often than not, it takes longer than you think to actually get a product out there. So don't do a pre-release special until you have a tracking number that the product is on the way to whoever's going to ship it out to your customers. <laughs> because yeah. until that information is there, you don't know. You know There could be, who knows what delay could come up. There's always, delays happen all the time. I, I've put together three nutrition products now. Every single one of them had delays. My testosterone booster was the worst. There were so many delays with that. But I, I learned so many lessons where that's not going to happen again, where there's that many delays. But – there's still delays, you know, even doing things right, things happen. So you, you right. kind of have to expect that things are always going to take longer than you would like it to. But I haven't been taking systemic enzymes since I ran out of Exelzyme, which was the product that I was taking before I designed Restorazine. And I haven't gotten, I actually ran out of Restorezyme, which I was taking a couple weeks ago. So I haven't been taking anything for a while. And now I realize real well <laughs> what those systemic enzymes were doing for me because I'm so much more sore from hard training workouts like barbell squats, deadlifts, et cetera, than I am when I'm taking enzymes. You know, they make a huge difference for recovery. So anyway, I'll have a bunch of information about that, and you can talk about that more on the show. I might have a, an enzyme specialist come on at some point and just really break it down, how they work and so forth. But you can find out more about that at MikeMoller.com. Make sure you're signed up for my newsletter list because there will be a pre-release special with a coupon code that you're not going to be aware of unless you're on my list. I'm not going to put it on Facebook. I'm not going to put it on Twitter and I'll probably talk about it on the show, but make sure you're on my newsletter list and you get that code and you get the discount. It's going to be a 15% off coupon code for the week before the product comes out. Once it's in stock, bam, that code's done. It's nullified. So you want to jump on that when the opportunity presents itself. And then also make sure to check out my testosterone booster my recovery oil. I get testimonials for both every week. It's really gratifying for someone to put out a product and and see the impact it's having on others. It's awesome. It's incredible. So I'm looking forward to getting more stuff out there. And then workshop-wise, I've got a course with Dan John and Sabina Scala in the UK next month, which is sold out. So if you want to have a chance to get into that course, shoot me an email And I'll put you on the waiting list, and we'll see if we can squeeze you in. Either someone drops out, or maybe we can accommodate a few more people. And then the following weekend, I'm doing a course in Dublin, Ireland, and that's it. No workshops for a while, as I've said a million times. In fact, I even had someone email me the other day asking if I could give a lecture somewhere, and I'm saying, nope. No (laughs) lectures, no workshops. Not forever, but just for a while. Good good four to six months. Nice try. (laughs) (laughs) Good four to six months. I'm taking a break. That's it. I'm taking a break, and I'm just going to focus on other things. And how about yourself, man? What do you have
0: going on? Next month, uh, Ken Blackburn and I will be teaming up as the IKFF is doing their certified kettlebell teacher course. The level one and level two will be here in Houston at my gym, my partner, Mike House, and my gym. So you can find out more about that on my blog at newwarriortraining.com. Just go to the tab where it says workshops and certifications. There's still space for the level one and still space for the level two as well. So if you have any questions about that, just email me. Um, all the contact information is there on my site. So that's what's coming up, first of all. And I believe that's the same weekend that you will be over in the U.K., as a matter of yes. fact. So for those of you not flying to the U.K., fly one out to Houston and vice versa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so, no so one of us can see you. Right after that, a month after that, in November, we have the World's Kettlebell Championship going on for the IKFF in Novi, Michigan. The – better part of detroit <laughs> so that's going down in november as well so and it's, now it's a two-day event it's gotten so big steve and ken have done and ashley have done such a great job man with this in the last few years and really putting together this this competition each year it's just growing and growing and growing to the fact now that it, it covers two days so i know on day one is going to be pretty much for all the long cycle athletes and then day two you're gonna have your other events as far as biathlon uh um, snatch only chair press Two days worth of things going on. They're capping it at 200 registrants now. Getting 200 people is nothing at this point for them. I think last year, man, I, I, I think it was somewhere close to like 170, 180, something like that. It was madness, and that was all in one day. If any of you are out there interested in competing kettlebell sport, it doesn't matter where you're starting. If this is your first, it would be your first competition. No big deal. No one's looking at you. No one's judging you. It's a very tight knit community where they're cheering you on. No one's judging you. Get on that platform. Get a feel for what it's like. And then I'm telling you, you'll be hooked after that. It's a good chance to do that. And if you are interested in doing that, hop on over to my site. um, Excuse me. Hop over to the IKFF site. Go under their events and you will find worlds under that. Sign up for that. Get your spot and get going. If you need any help with coaching, GS wise, Hit me up, and we can work something out So and get you ready for all that. I have no problems in taking on a few more clients as far as GS coaching since, hey, that's what I'm doing. I have room for a few folks for that. So just contact me. We can figure something out. But other than that, man, that's what's going on on my side of things. got some other things going on that I'm you know doing with my wife's nutraceutical company as well and waiting on your enzymes to come out as well, man, and give it a try so I can let everybody know how it's working on my end as well. Um, you'll be, you'll be I,
2: getting a couple of bottles in the mail for
0: sure no doubt awesome it's funny because same thing you just said about the exozymes like i haven't bought any enzymes since i finished my bottle of enzymes that i got from you a while right. back and i yeah i feel the difference <laughs> just, <laughs> and it's funny because even my naturopath would ask me like How's, how how those um, enzymes working for you i was like oh they were great and i recovered a lot faster said, but now after doing sprint snatch set It always feels like two days later, like someone's just driving their elbows in my traps most of the time. Oh, it's
2: it's ridiculous, (laughs) especially after teaching a workshop. I'll I'll take the enzymes during the day because you're you're on an empty stomach, and I'm just loading them up. I'll take a a bunch of them afterwards. And then usually the next day, I'm not stiff at all. but, but But the last few workshops I've taught, I didn't have any enzymes. And, man, I'm stiff as a board the next day. I was like, whoa. So, I mean, the enzymes, it's one of those things when, you're, when you've are when you been taking it for a long time, you're wondering if it does anything, right? Because you get used to it. You just think it's normal. It's like, yeah, I yeah. recover well, and I'm not sore. It's, eh, it's just normal. And then you stop taking it for a long period of time, like six, seven weeks, and then you're like, whoa, this is what it's like not to have those in the arsenal. So, I mean, I can't wait to get back on it myself. and yeah, man. More than anyone else, I can't wait to get back on it. So that's going to be cool. And then uh, let's, uh, that's about it for right now. Make sure you use coupon code LLA to get 10% off my products and Sincere's video. And also you get 30% off Sincere's video yeah. with the coupon code, 10% off my products. And just a special thanks again to our guest today, Bruce Buffer, author of It's Time, My 360-Degree View of the Octagon. And you can get it at Amazon.com. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. And hey. it's in Kindle format as well.
0: Yeah, that's how I was reading it on Kindle. So yeah, people, it's just so many different ways now accessing great reads out there, and you know, hopefully soon he will have it on, Aud- on um, Audible as well. So I think
2: it would be, I think it would be a great book for Audible.com yeah. for sure. So that was cool, and he's a very nice guy. It was good having, very classy guy. It was fun having him on the show. And next week we have Dan Cole, author of The Talent Code, which is another one of my favorite books. Talks about the principle of. 10,000 hours of concerted effort to develop mastery on whatever you're trying to achieve. So we'll talk to him about that and a bunch of other interesting things that he covers in his book. So that's going to be
0: next week. Keep cool. your
2: feedback coming, folks. and
0: we'll Keep those reviews at. coming. Yeah, please. Follow on iTunes, we truly appreciate it. Okay. Keep checking that's us out it. on Twitter as well, Mike Mahler or at Sincere Hogan. Either one, you can find us. Other than that, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you all next week.
2: Have a great week, everyone, and make sure we get those reviews in because we have a goal of hitting 100 reviews ASAP. I think we're at about 32 or 33 now, so let's let's get it up to 100. If you like the show, go drop it on, on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. And we appreciate the feedback. We appreciate you listening. See you next week. Take
0: care, everybody.